Koopa. Oh, I fucked that up. Both of us. You, we're too busy doing it live over there. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Well, we are live. Welcome to we Movie live. Boners, everybody. Hello. I am. <laughs> um, so excited for this episode. I'm ecstatic. I've been ecstatic for several months, actually. Yes. Uh, but before we get too deep in it, what beer are you drinking today? Okay. I had to find, I was like, you better fucking find a relevant beer mm. for this episode. Obviously going towards beers named after like breaking your brain or, or mind is the obvious way and i had like three beers in hand but then i found this one and i was like it's kind of a stretch but i think it works okay which kind of goes hand in hand with i'm sure how how our guy was feeling when he made this movie <laughs> um, yeah so i'm drinking entropic which made me laugh because it kind of looks like entropy yeah it's very, very, very close. I like that. So uh, it's not bad. It's an IPA. I don't know from where. Oh, equal parts brewing. No clue where that is. Not bad. Not bad. Good. That's good. Uh, I have also relatively relevant beer um, on a couple of levels. The first is I got it. And I actually misunderstood it because I got it because I thought that I thought that the name was why I got it. But then I learned that the text on the box was not the name of the beer. It was just something they put on there as like a <laughs> slogan or something. So when I say the name, you're going to say it doesn't make sense at all. And you would be right. It's from the Lagunitas Brewing Company in California somewhere. Uh, called a little something something and it has a little dog and it says a little something something but right. down here in the bottom it says an indescribable imbibable <laughs> and i thought that this was an indescribable movie and that's why i got it and then i realized yeah. later i misunderstood how this i kind of like labeled. i kind of like the uh the little text that tricked you i kind of <laughs> like that as a as the name more it sounded like a beer name. The yeah, indescribable it Bible. It really does. Not a little something, something, but whatever. <laughs> it's good, though. It's a uh, smooth and silky wheat IPA. All right. Yeah, it's very good. All right. All right. So um, let's check in on our movie draft. Well, yes. Because this has been a weird couple weeks. For yeah, me, so. but like a really good one for you. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting on a few levels. Uh, headline, you're still in the lead. Yeah. Um, but the interesting things happened over the course of the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Cocaine Bear is doing well, relatively well, more than you would have expected, probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> so much better than I expected. <laughs> Creed 3 is apparently great. Uh, I think possibly the best of the series is what I've been seeing. That's what I the heard. Creed series, not the Rocky series. Um, so that's interesting. And then today, the day we're recording it, three movies came out. 65, the Space Dinosaur one, 
Scream 6, and Inside, the mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe burglar trapped in a weird house movie, which I'm excited about all three of those. I will watch all three of those for sure. Yeah. Um, Scream 6 is uh, very good, apparently. Holy crap. 7.6 on IMDb at the moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Audience rating of 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah, that's good. Wow. Inside is at a 6.6. They have a tomato meter critic rating, but do not yet have a audience rating. So that your average is drug down a little bit for right, the right. moment. I'm sure they'll get that. I'm kind of confused on inside to the point where I'm worried that it's like not a real movie all of a sudden. <laughs> and I'm hoping I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. It seems very real. But <laughs> right? Yeah, it could be anything. But there's like on the subject of well, you finish your thought. Uh, I was going to say there's zero advertising for it. There's like nothing. And I'm kind of, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of worried about that pick. <laughs> yeah. It should be interesting to see what happens with that. <laughs> it may be like no money because they didn't actually advertise it, but yeah, it might be a good movie and I'm excited to at least see it. I still want to uh, see it very much. Yet. But on the topic of movies that you didn't know for sure were real or not, this last week, we got a couple of interesting trailers um, yep. with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie mm-hmm. came out. The trailer did Mutant Mayhem, the Seth Rogen one looks pretty cool. The it art looks, looks cool. fun as hell. And I really like the animation style. Really yeah, like too. that style. And I'm pretty excited that uh, Jackie Chan is Splinter. Hell yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm a little hesitant on the April casting because I am a child of the 90s where April was a crush of mine. And so to make her just a different sort of an individual than what I'm used to, it's questionable. But (laughs) we'll see how it goes. Uh, And then the other one was the, I don't even remember what it was called. The Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, I just saw a preview for that where she like gets hired to date some dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's an already coming. I don't remember what it's called, but it's in the list somewhere. I didn't even remember. I think I drafted it, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I saw the preview and it was like, oh, when is she like, she's coming back. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, that must've been one. Uh, that Jake and I just never even thought of. And I can't remember I know it what it was on either. there because I remember trying to put the poster on there when it didn't even have a poster at the time. Um, oh, yeah. But I don't remember what it's called. There's a bunch of weird movies on here. I don't remember what they're called. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. Shazam comes out next week. Yep. John Wick comes out in two weeks. So I think that the competition is in full effect. Yes, I would say so. It's going to be back and forth here for a little bit. I, I kind of feel like you're going to have a good moment of uh, victory or like. Mm, I like the sound. I, I wouldn't say victory, maybe for a month or so. <laughs> Takes it back. Uh, I, yeah, think, I, I think I think you're about to give me a really good run. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that I have a lot of movies in March. Yeah. So starting with Creed and 65 now, but I also have all of these movies in March and then a lot of movies in April as well. You have a lot of May and then we both are pretty even through the summer. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I I think with John Wick coming out, Mm -hmm. I think that is going to be huge. 
they were already projecting it to have just stupid amounts of like pre-sales and opening weekend. I was like, I'm so stoked, but <laughs> mad at the same time that I yeah. did not draft that out of spite to Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have been pretty sad I if you know. got both Mission Impossible and John Wick. <laughs> I <crushed> know. Me. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all we have there. What new things have you seen recently? I only watched one new thing recently. That's good. Yeah. You need a Wait. break. <laughs> <laughs> the last couple episodes, you've had like 10 new things. Fair enough. Uh, I saw Cocaine Bear. How was it? I fucking love that movie. <laughs> I like It's one of the funniest movies I've seen for a while. Good. It's so good. And it made me so confused <laughs> and happy and a little upset because I knew you had it in your draft. And when I realized just how <laughs> awesome it is, I was like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting, though. It's been a long time, I feel like, since there was a really funny comedy out. It was so good. It's so ridiculous. The, the more the movie goes on, the more things happen in it. Mm -hmm. You just find yourself to a point where you can't stop laughing because of the absurdity that the mm. movie is. Good. And I loved every moment <laughs> of it. <laughs> That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. That sounds great. Uh, I watched the opposite of that. I watched The Whale finally, <laughs> which was very sad. <laughs> very good. Very I will good. say very good. I, Brendan Fraser was great. Just hearing his voice again on film, I was like, I missed this so much. <laughs> As he makes but, you weep because yeah, it's it's a very it's obviously it's a very super simple story and very dramatic, very emotional. So I wouldn't say I'm the target audience for it, but it was good, certainly good. Christy really liked it. She was talking about it for days after. She really did not like my ne the next movie. I also kind of didn't like it. And I think uh, you said that you did. So we saw Knock at the Cabin as well. Okay. It was, I'm not sure I liked it. I certainly liked it a lot less than old. And I think that there's just, uh, I don't think the presentation did a good job of like keeping me on the fence as like if the apocalypse was real or not. Right. It was just kind of awkwardly, Oh, it's certainly not real. Oh, it certainly is real. Oh, it's certainly. And it just was, I guess, too abrupt or didn't leave as much questions as I would have liked. Okay. Uh, I would have, I think, benefited from more vagueness in the actual, yeah. on either side of the argument. Let Did people you at decide. least agree that Dave Batista is like the best part of the whole movie? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. That was like, even though I enjoyed it more than I like enjoyed uh, old, mm -hmm. I was like, Dave Batista is. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's great. <laughs> he's he's great super great. Movie. <laughs> um, and then, last thing I saw based on your recommendation last episode, I watched Vengeance. Oh, yeah. Which was also great. Yes. That's so happy like, you liked that movie. Oh, I loved it. And Christy loved it too. She was like, wow, that was a great movie. And I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> Dustin was right again, I guess. <laughs> I <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> Vengeance uh, was, it was just really interesting and fun. And I like how it didn't like, it didn't pick on any particular side. It kind of picked on everybody as far as like just a human thing and 
and yeah. even like East Coast elites and Bible Belt Southerners <laughs> and Texas all that stuff. People. Texans. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it all just kind of, they all worked well together. And I think it yeah. came together in a great way. I loved it. Yeah. I loved Vengeance. Loved it. And uh, Ashton Kutcher's first scene, like mm-hmm. his bit of dialogue, how he like perceives stuff and explains some stuff. I found myself being like, am I being inspired by Ashton <laughs> Kutcher? Like, is he making yeah. me feel warm right now? This is weird. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I, I liked his whole character and his whole character <laughs> arc. It was very interesting. I'm so happy you liked Vengeance. I love that movie so much. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it again. It was really good. Uh, Is that speaking it? of watching movies again and again and again and again and again and again, we're going to talk about Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film, which you may or may not have seen because it came out in 2020, 2020 during the 2020. pandemic. 2020. 2020. Um, it's one of the, I think it was the last movie I saw in theaters until they like closed. No, they or were they, already I saw, closed. Oh, I yeah. saw it and they like attempted to reopen and then closed again or something. I saw it in the theater when it came out. Yeah, you and I saw it in the theater. Oh, did we? God well, damn it. There's your answer. <laughs> I don't remember you being there. Oh my God. I do not remember that. <laughs> because I was thinking about all of the things that you, the movie makes me Christy, think of. And myself stood outside the theater at the end of the movie, just like, what the fuck did we just watch? And then we oh, had yeah. Didn't that, that guy... guy come by. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now uh... I remember. <laughs> there was a guy that talked to us and he was like, what the fuck was that? And we were like, I know. <laughs> And then we were like, yeah, we should tell them we have a movie podcast. And we're like, no, we don't want to be dorks. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and proud of it. Uh, yeah, no, Tenet had that weird release where theaters were shut down and they tried doing like a couple small test releases and they picked yeah. um, like a couple small movies. They did a David Copperfield movie, if I remember right. Okay. With that kid from Slumdog Millionaire, um, and there was like one mm. or two others, but then Tenet was supposed to be the the big one to test mm. how much how much of an audience would return to the theater to see a movie. But at the time they released it, the media was still telling everyone like, "Oh, if you go outside, you're gonna die." <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, don't want to sit in a room for two and a half hours with other people breathing on you. Right, so. It was set up to fail by the studios, and then the studio came out and was like, it was a flop, and then the theater <laughs> stayed shut down for a while after that yeah. until they started slowly opening back up. Um, but it was like months, because Tenet came out in like July or August. August. Uh, yeah, it was a summer blockbuster kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but Tenet is also the last movie that Christopher Nolan made with Warner Brothers. Mm. Because at that time, Warner Brothers was deciding to do their direct-to-stream service. Mm-hmm. And Nolan was very adamantly against that and still is. Because yeah. it takes away the experience of going to a theater and watching movies that are made for a theater experience. He felt mm-hmm. it was uh, 
taking away the artist's intention. Yeah. And I kind of agree with him. Although convenience is nice, but I have to agree, like, go to the theater, folks. Mm-hmm. It's there for a reason. Go enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, so Tenet's got like weird stuff around it. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, and I think people formed opinions about it based on that. that yeah. Oh, it didn't do great, or it was oh, it was confusing, or not worth your time, or whatever. Um, oh, confusing, I was confusing. Definitely worth your time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Depending on how much time uh, we spend should on it, preface like we always it. do, but heavy, heavy, heavy spoilers. <laughs> yeah. So the whole episode's about Tenet. We're gonna get deep into it, spoil the shit out of it. Um, this episode was brought up by a listener and friend and fan of ours who's been on board since the beginning, um, which I think is cool. I don't know necessarily that we've had any other episodes yet that have been suggested by listeners other than my wife. Yeah. Have we? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't remember seeing the movie with you. I don't remember what episodes your, we've your done. Your brain has failed you. We did. Um, but the, the other suggestions we did were movies neither of us had watched yet. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, and so this with, one was... Uh, what was it? I, Mulholland Drive? Oh, fucking Mulholland oh, Drive. Fucking Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to suggest movies to torture us with, you could do that as well. But <laughs> otherwise, we like watching good movies. Um, we, If you want to hear our whole episode about Mulholland Drive, feel free. Um, but... Yes, I, I. it's appropriate, I think, that this episode comes after last episode, which is about move, revisiting movies that we thought weren't good. Um, that was where this fan brought up this movie. It's like, we, I actually think this movie is a piece of shit, mm-hmm. but maybe you can tell me or convince me otherwise. And so may, hopefully we will, because I think it's a very good movie. I thought it was a good movie, and I thought it was really interesting when I had first seen it. Mm-hmm. After watching it, four more times in the last two weeks. I think it's a great movie. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, all of the details and Christopher Nolan does this thing where he fills in plot holes that you weren't even looking for. Mm -hmm. And the more you watch it, the more you pick up on the little, Oh, when he says that he means this. And that actually affects that later on. It doesn't matter as far as like how quickly the movie is flowing. But if you actually are paying really close attention, there's a lot more to it that is actually, all held together super well. Yeah. So it holds up. It's great. I I also have a very strong opinion. Um, and I was actually talking to a, a guy at my work today about it. Um, Cause he's always asking me, he's one of my, my regular uh, guys that comes in and he was like, so what's your next episode? And I told him, Oh, we're going to deep dive into tenant. Like, Hmm talk all about what went into making it, the movie itself. And he was like, damn. I was like, yeah. And it got us talking about the practical effects that Christopher Nolan is known for utilizing and just adamantly like, this is how I make a movie. Yeah. And him and I agreed. And he, he kind of mentioned this too, of like, whether you're a fan of the movie itself, because it's a spy thriller at its core, yeah. it's a spy thriller. So if you're not into spy movies, especially kind of Bond-esque, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not going to 
be drawn to the story. However, I think Tenet, if you're a film fan, a fan of movies in general, just Tenet as a production, you should be praising this movie (laughs) because they did shit practically and they completely redid how Hollywood films movies, especially in terms of IMAX cameras. It Mm. is unreal what they did just on a filmmaking scale. And I felt the movie deserves all credit just on that. Whether you like the story or not, it deserves your respect because Mm -hmm. I'm sure James Cameron watched Tenet going, (laughs) what? You can actually film a, a whole scene that's going forward and reverse at the same time. And they did it with editing tricks and practical, like they're driving what yeah (laughs) yeah it's pretty simple you just have them fight backwards and walk backwards and talk talk backwards backwards. (laughs) Um, yeah it's i i just i realized the more that i've watched this movie over the past couple years and especially prepping for this i was like fuck i think tenet should just be shown in every film school i think every filmmaker should look at it not mm-hmm. to copy it, but just take note of how much bigger of an impact on a story, your mm-hmm. practical effects, when you make your audience actually a part of the story, like how much yeah. more meaningful that is. Right. Yeah. And it feels, <laughs> you feel how real it is by yeah. watching it. Like you can tell, oh, they're in real places. They're in real cities. They're on all these, because it's a spy thriller, they go to all these different countries around the world and make it a global a global problem that they're trying to stop. <laughs> right. And it makes you feel very much like they're in all those places because they are. And it, 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 Christopher Nolan has done so many interesting things with practical effects and I love him for that. Um, I've read an interesting thing recently where in Interstellar, he planted all of that corn yeah, <laughs> because Zack Snyder planted all the corn in Man of Steel and you can just tell the difference between the corn in Man of Steel and the corn in Justice League, which is CG, the difference. And it's a huge pain in the ass. And they said, you're not going to be successful at it. And it's going to, you're growing it in a place that it shouldn't grow because you want the mountains in the background and all this stuff. But he did it and it looks great. And then all the stuff that they didn't drive a car through, he actually sold for a profit. So it works (laughs) out. (laughs) But it's just that dedication to plant corn, wait however long it takes corn to grow. And then then we're going to film the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I, obviously for people that have been listening to our show since the start, uh, yeah, Jake and I, (laughs) we kind of worship this guy. Maybe that's extreme. (laughs) <laughs> um, I would say he's my favorite filmmaker he for is a lot just, of different reasons. He has such a different eye when it comes to filmmaking. And what's so funny is I've watched a handful of interviews with like actors that have worked with him on previous projects and then just mm-hmm. the making of documentary of Tenet, which go watch it. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of getting a feel for Nolan himself. You know, I've got the, the Nolan, uh, variations it's the book all about christopher nolan Mm. and how he approaches making films and stuff and on various Mm. sets everyone comes or has this like i guess picture of him as being 
this almighty filmmaker. He is <laughs> this genius, this like mm-hmm. Lord of movies, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some of the interviews I, I watched about him, the actors were like, yeah, he's a genius because he's so real. He's so just like mm-hmm. on the spot. I saw a thing with Michael J. White uh, and they were asking, talking to him about the Dark Knight and working with Nolan and working with Ledger and all that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, so what was it like working with the genius that is Christopher Nolan? What was?" <laughs> and he was like, I was reading the script and asking him questions about my character and what he wanted me to do. And I guess Christopher Nolan's responses were typically like, oh, I didn't even think of that. What's your opinion? What do you mm-hmm. think we should do? <laughs> and like, not just yeah. so that he's done that with like every film he's on where he knows what he needs, mm-hmm. but he wants his actors to be more in the moment and, just, and involved in the movie making process. Yeah. And it, it's crazy. He's got his uh, music composers are on set during the shoot. They don't just mm-hmm. wait for the final print. They actually like will kind of help write the score as they're filming the scenes during all the different takes. He mm-hmm. encourages them to go and, talk to the actors to get a feel for their characters, talk to just set designers, get a feel for what the like cinematography is going to be. It's crazy. The Mm -hmm. amount of energy and attention he puts into every aspect of making a movie. Yeah. And what I see a lot is that he just loves it. He He just just loves it. He's having, he's having the best time and, and he just creates these movies that they all are incredible. Every single one is an A plus movie. They all blow my mind. I love it because it puts me back as like being a child and seeing a movie and being like, I didn't know that was possible (laughs) to do that in a movie. And he's still doing that. And I'm almost 36 years old. (laughs) He's still blowing my mind. I was like, I didn't know you could do that in a movie. And it's so cool that you found a way to do that. (laughs) Right. And his, his whole approach is just like, I know what I kind of had in mind for this and Mm -hmm. let's see what we can do to make it reality. And the crews and everyone that's going to make the movie, Mm -hmm. they all have their like Christopher Nolan hands you a script and you're immediately (laughs) like, how the fuck are we going to pull this off? And especially (laughs) with tenant, everyone from stunt coordinator to like costume designer, everyone had the thought of just, what (laughs) we're going to do what (laughs) yeah i watched uh i watched a youtube clip of him a little while ago talking about describing memento and how he like planned it out and if you don't know memento is a movie where it's one of his first movies probably the one that was like this big break um but it's told essentially kind of in backwards like the guy is short-term memory so it's Mm -hmm. going forward for a little bit and then he loses memory and it kind of goes back and then it goes forward a little bit and then it goes back. And so it's very kind of similar to Tenet where things are, time is inverted at times. Um, but seeing him trying to put it on a whiteboard or a chalkboard and uh, and he's like, I've actually never thought of it in a diagram. I only think about it in writing. So he's trying to figure out how to describe it and the way he like draws out the timeline and then cuts in between them is very interesting. And then it, it made me think a lot about Tenet. I was like, how do you even describe Tenet to people? Be like, we're going to make a movie. It's going to be half of it going forward. Some of the people will go backward in time. Uh, then they'll get there. They'll all go backward in time. And some will go forward. And like, it's, then they'll fight each other. One person going backward, one person going forward. And then we'll blow up a plane, and, <laughs> a real plane. 
at a in a real hangar at a real airport. Um, yeah. It just it blows my mind that things. Oh, that we're do. we're gonna have a car chase, but with inverted time and lateral time or like forward moving time. Uh, yeah. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, and we're gonna we're gonna crash one of the cars and flip it. Mm-hmm. in the middle of all of this is <laughs> yeah. that all no then later we're gonna <laughs> blow up a building like four times same building <laughs> but we're gonna like change where the yeah. explosion comes from <laughs> yeah could because they blow it up in different timelines and they all converge <laughs> how are it's we amazing. doing that we're gonna build it <laughs> blow it up from like miniatures and it's all practical what's what mm. green screen are we using none that's a fact kids <laughs> There's yeah. zero green scheme, green screen in Tenet. It's so funny to me if you watch like the behind the scenes um, footage of like with what just like uh, vignettes or whatever of like here's what it was like on uh, shooting Tenet and all this stuff. It's the exact same as the footage from the movie. It's just from a different angle with a worse camera, <laughs> but it's the it's the behind the scenes is literally just the same thing. As the it's true. It's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So all that said, yeah, let's actually get into spoiling tenant front to back, top to bottom, inside and out, uh, all the directions you can think of, because there's a lot of them. We're going to try our best. uh, Let's be real. We're going to try our very best. It's not going to work. Just bear with us, guys. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we are not experts by any means, although I have seen the movie, I think, six times now, four in the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, I would say I feel like I understand the story and the movie 100%. I understand the characters and the motivations about 90, 95%. I understand the science of the film about 60%, maybe. <laughs> hey, that's I think generous. that's probably better than what they originally intended. <laughs> Nolan even was very upfront saying, I didn't care for it to be scientifically accurate. Yeah. Ironically, then you get scientists that came out and were like, he kind of got a lot of the science correct without mm-hmm. wanting to get the science correct. Yeah. And you're like, God and damn it, Nolan. <laughs> the script was reviewed by Kip Fawn, who's like a physicist. He's the same guy that worked with him on Interstellar. Yeah. And Interstellar is famously praised for being, oh, we never thought of, scientists tell him, we have never thought of black holes in that way. I can't believe your f- film helped us <laughs> right. actually understand And then at holes. the same time, they're like, this might be one of the most scientifically accurate films ever put on film. <laughs> Yeah, so that's good. <laughs> it's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. So let's blow your mind. Um, do you want to start at the beginning? That's a good place I mean, you kind of have I to. I, I love the beginning. <laughs> I love the whole I movie. I do love the whole movie. I will say it's not a perfect movie by any means. No. But I think that that's to be expected with a movie of the scale and complexity. Mm-hmm. It is much easier to make something perfect when it is small and simple. And the more components and factors and things you throw into it, you just increase the odds of it having but, um, you know, difficulty. But I think for what it sets out to be, 
it is the most perfect version of that. It's uh, I, I was thinking about this. I think the third time I watched it this last week. Um, when we first went and saw it in the theater, and we were like trying to get our brains from oozing out of our ear holes any more than they <laughs> yeah. already did for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember looking at you. You won't remember this, apparently. <laughs> it's coming back to me. I remember the guy on the street. <laughs> um, but I remember telling you, I have a feeling that the the basic story, like just mm-hmm. what the story is, or the movie is actually about, it's like, I bet it's actually very simple, mm-hmm. but it just seems so overly complicated just with all of the time stuff. Yeah. It's not even really, well, I mean, there is time travel, but it's not exactly <laughs> time travel. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, but I see what you're saying, and I do agree. I think that part of the reason it's confusing is because you are entering this world through the eyes of the protagonist. Yep who is learning all of these things at as it goes when he's told various things uh he accepts it very quickly right and there are a lot of times i'm like i don't know what that means to reverse your entropy <laughs> which is probably why the protagonist like just accepts it because yeah. his brain is probably like he's just like smiles fuck? and nods yeah. <laughs> just smile and nod and fake it till you make it and <laughs> right. it works out for him so but i through the course of the movie what is happening or what is actually happening and he learns what he thought is happening is not happening that happens like three different times where he's like i thought this was happening it's not happening it's actually this so if you're not keeping up or catching those changes (laughs) you can get lost pretty fast having watched it several times now since we saw it in the theater i'm i'm gonna kind (laughs) of like humble brag i think i was for the most part correct Mm -hmm. It's it's a spy thriller. It is. Yeah. You can tell there is so much influence from like the Bond franchise and other spy films. You can see that genre's like past films that influence in this movie. I started laughing the last time I watched it yesterday or last yeah, yesterday. Um it was like halfway through the movie. It was like the second scene after you meet uh Seder. Yeah. And I kind of giggled and I was like, Oh my God. That was when I was like, I think I was somewhat correct. I'm like, This is a bond film. Like mm-hmm. this is very basic. Villain has this like vendetta against the world that is so <laughs> absurd. Mm-hmm. And crazy mm-hmm. obviously it can't happen it's not going to happen yeah and you get the spy who is just trying to infiltrate figure out he doesn't even necessarily care about all of the details to me i'm like he's really just yeah. figuring how do i stop <laughs> this guy like right it's not his job to figure out right all that it's just he was given a mission and he needs to and i had to laugh when i guy. realized that and kind of had that like understanding because it made the whole rest of the movie where I was just like, I think I am at a place where I can watch Tenet and not be so where my brain is like, I'm not going to break this time. Because when you (laughs) simplify it where you're like the protagonist, although he has to know 
details, yeah. they are not what actually get him to what he needs to do. His whole mm. goal is stop Seder. Yeah. The whole goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he learns different things along the way and he's like, and they're like, well, what he's doing might end the world or it might not. And he's like, and he thinks about it. And he's like, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't matter because I just have to stop him. Cause regardless. I gotta stop him. And it's almost like mm-hmm. when the protagonist has an understanding of the details are around me, I can utilize mm-hmm. some if I have to, or when I have to, I should say, but everybody else around him, they are the ones who have to worry about the details. Their mission mm-hmm. is all the details, all of the inverted mm-hmm. objects and time mm-hmm. travel. His sole mission is very simple. Mm-hmm. Stop the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, which I love. <laughs> it's jumping ahead. But at the very end, Seder tells him, you don't actually even know what you're fighting against. You're a fanatic who just believes what I tell you. (laughs) And uh, I I think it's so fascinating. (laughs) But I, so I agree with you. I do think there is a simple story at the, at the heart of it. And it's just told in a complicated way. It's just told in a complicated way. It's, it's a lot of icing on the cake, but it's the best Mm -hmm. kind of icing. Yeah. Where it's not complete showmanship or like you know yeah. like glitzy crap it's like it's it's like saying that inception is a heist film <laughs> right. it is it is but it's, it's also a lot of other but shit there's on so much more to i love inception <laughs> oh my god yeah i have a feeling we're gonna do this about a bunch of different MSC movies <laughs> um but yeah i i agree with you i think it's very simple however i really like the complicated mm-hmm. parts of it mm-hmm. and i that's most of why I like it. I think that it's, if you approach it as an ordinary film, you may like it if you can find the things that you like in ordinary films, or you may hate it. Yeah. I think it's not exactly like ordinary films. I think it's more like if if you like um, riddles or brain teasers or puzzles as a form of entertainment, then you'll probably like Tenet because... (laughs) It is a lot of, oh, I finally, I think I understand how this works and how the entropy works and who these people are. And then after you see the film, you'll find yourself doing the dishes or in the shower and be like, wait, if he was there, then that means that this guy was there. Like you just start putting it together and starting to fully form this thing that is that kind of fun. And if you don't find that fun, you might hate the movie. If you don't want your brain completely just eradicated, essentially, yeah, you're probably. And not if you get like deep it. enough into it, you'll discover a couple of different paradoxes, and you just have to accept it or reject it entirely. Which I think is so brilliant because they even bring up paradoxes, and we're jumping ahead again. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. It doesn't matter when you talk about Tenet. Um, it's true. We're always talking about it in the right time because right. we can always go back. They actually bring up paradoxes and they do it in the form mm-hmm. of the grandfather paradox. And mm-hmm. I love the the protagonist flat out says like, well, what's the answer? There is no answer. Go get some <laughs> sleep. Yeah, It's a paradox, dude. I love that scene <laughs> so much because it's such a great way of kind of reju- rejuvenating the idea of like, 
How do we fill this plot point? Oh, clever dialogue, which we joke about mm -hmm. a lot on our show. <laughs> Nolan comes in with that same rule and just mm -hmm. does it in a way that like you're not allowed to argue it because he just told yeah. you it's a paradox. <laughs> yeah. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. And it's to be enjoyed as a film. And every yeah. he does a great job of like telling you the things you need to know or showing you the things you need to know and then skipping over a lot of the stuff you don't <laughs> right and you can you can for the most part ignore it or the for the most part you can figure it out for yourself on your own time because it, he puts a lot in there but a lot of it also doesn't really matter it's because the story <laughs> is what the story is but let's get into the opening <laughs> scene which i gotta say it is one of the most intriguing <laughs> and just like exhilarating opening sequences mm -hmm. because it's so abrupt yeah, and one thing that i think blows me away about tenant and i i remember we were all joking about it the first time we saw it and the more i watch it the more i'm like i would not want to watch this movie any other way is the mm -hmm. sound it is so loud and it is <laughs> so like yeah i mean it's deafening from the opening scene <laughs> yeah and i love how it builds with the orchestra yeah. tuning up and and how that sound of the orchestra tuning up is very chaotic there's no actual like flow of notes or melody and then as soon as they stop and they're about to start and you're waiting for all of that chaos to come together into a flowing beautiful thing it's interrupted by more chaos <laughs> right suddenly you get running like, in and and shooting the place up it's instantly just like oh shit what the yeah. fuck is that like you feel <laughs> like you are actually in the concert hall with that mm -hmm. wide audience and trying to figure out like what do i do what do i i can't run i'm stuck in my chair oh my god oh my god mm -hmm. what i love so much about that uh, for the rest of the film actually and his other movies is his sound design and we don't ever talk about sound design on this it's true but i feel it it needs to be brought up now especially with this movie the sound design yeah. is so real it's mm -hmm. so effective because it it never sounds like cleaned up polished hollywood sounds everything mm -hmm. is very real world so you know you get the gunshots echoing in the mm -hmm. in the music hall you know the orchestra like you were saying their warm-up sounds when i was watching it again this week i was like man this I don't feel like normally you'll see musical a movie that has like an orchestra or whatever, and they'll they'll try to have those sounds, but you can tell it's mm -hmm. so toned down, it's so tamed down because they're like, well, we have to have quiet mm -hmm. for this dialogue, or we have to have like separation from the sound. No one is like, no, we're just gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put it all up to eleven. Just yeah, put it. Yeah, and it, it was so effective effective to me and i remember being in the theater when we saw it and just being mm -hmm. like having moments during the movie of going i think i might be going deaf because like <laughs> the sound of the boat flying through the water is so deafening or the gunshots mm -hmm. or the explosions are just so deafening mm -hmm. but the more i watch it the more i'm like 
this was perfect. The sound <laughs> is so perfect and it's so immersing. Yeah. And you get all of that in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've, because uh, I've had that a couple of times, not just with Tenet, but uh, Interstellar, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises was a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, Nolan's been getting criticized for his last few ep uh, movies because of the sound design and the because either the dialogue's hard to understand or um, at least for some people. And then something to know about that is that he mixes his movies for very good theaters because he wants you to see it in IMAX or in a very good, he wants you to have the best experience possible. <laughs> right. Most people will mix their movies for average or lowest common denominator theaters. And so I've actually seen, I've gone into a theater and seen a notice that the theater has posted that says, the sound is not wrong. The sound is not too loud. The sound is how the filmmaker asked us to play it for you. And, uh, and so you, it, that might be pretentious to some people or it might not be what they want. Um, or you may experience a different experience when you get it on home video because they often remix it for uh, the sound design for home video uh, or if you're using headphones or whatever it just sounds different um, but i do think the the most of the criticism in tenet comes from not being able to hear people's voices uh, granted they are wearing masks a lot of the time and have some of them have accents and they use big words that i've never heard before like <laughs> detritus um but for the most part i i that when i saw it the first time in the theater i was like i don't know what people are complaining about i maybe missed a couple of words or sentences but you get the gist it doesn't actually matter that much <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah so we, we get that opening chaos erupts in the music hall you've got uh the spy team who's like mm -hmm. getting dressed in the back of a van it's in the ukraine and they get like their signal their cue to go in they're mm. gonna go and try and get he's not a like mole but he's he's yeah he's the person somebody of interest. Uh, <laughs> yeah uh some spy or somebody who made contact with somebody else and they just need to extract him or kill him i love how christopher nolan shows you things more than tells you them mm -hmm because it's just, it's so simple, but when they're waiting around in that van and then all of the other cops show up because this gunfight has erupted in this music hall and you see like the logo on the side of the van and then you see all of the different patches of logos on the center console and they choose the one that matches, hands them to the guys, they put them <laughs> on their shoulder and you're like, oh, these guys are not with them. They are infiltrating, pretending <laughs> to be them. And it just, it works and flows so well. And you're like, I get it. Nobody said anything, but I understand. <laughs> but I understand exactly what's happening. They are the extraction team. They're the spy team. They're mm -hmm. going in. They're like, there's something important happening in the music hall. Yeah. And using the police influence and whatever as coverage yeah. cover for it. You get in the music hall. It's a very mm -hmm. fast paced. There's a ton of running it's like it's tiring it is physically tiring just watching the movie i can't imagine what it was like when they were filming where it's like yeah. i'm running in full gear i'm an actor i'm not right. conditioned for this i'm running mm -hmm. full gear up and down these huge staircases in the 
this huge main hall, dodging gunfire Mm -hmm. and getting in fights and I'm rappelling down a window. And probably doing it more than once because you didn't get it on your first take. (laughs) Right. And like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it at least 15 takes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, We haven't talked about it yet, but John David Washington as the star of the movie, Mm -hmm. as the protagonist, that's one of the things I was the most impressed with him. 100%. His his physicality is like the way that he runs with complete abandon is like on the level with Tom Cruise. Like he just throws himself into running. (laughs) He throws himself into taking punches, giving punches. Uh, His physicality is incredible. And so I had not seen him in much of anything before this. I'd seen him in ballers. Um, and I didn't even know he was Denzel Washington's son. I was like, and then I found out like very recently within the last like year that he was Denzel. I was like, no way. And then you watch Tenet and you're like, Denzel does that. Yeah, he's Denzel's son. There's one scene. There's one scene where he's on the boat with Sater and he has just saved him from going overboard. And they're having the conversation and Sater leaves and uh, John David Washington gets up and turns around and walks away. The way he reaches back and adjusts his belt as he's walking, I'm like, that's a Denzel thing. I don't know why, but it is exactly <laughs> You're like, a Denzel like thing. father, like son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time. That's all I think of now. Um, but yeah, him going in and grabbing that guy, they're giving code words. Yeah. Like it's the way that it just flows is so exciting. And yeah, definitely reminds me of just a spy thriller the whole time. One of my favorite details during that opening sequence and it's something that like i don't think i've ever seen quite to this degree is when they're running through the audience and there's still gunfire coming at them and Mm. the person of interest or whatever the yeah the target he sits in an empty seat and has to play dead now we've seen people play dead in other movies to avoid you know getting shot or executed sure his seems so much more intense because as he's sitting there, I mean, like this, mm-hmm. you, you see like a bullet hit the chair that he's sitting on. You can hear it shooting and he has to stay to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he like tries to leave and the protagonist is like, no, stay there. <laughs> right. Yeah. What I, you know, there, you get a lot of gunfire. It's, it's not hard to keep up with what's happening. You know instantly like something's wrong because you start, I mean, he runs into a guy he thinks is mm-hmm. part of the crew who's not. Um, but they do something kind of shocking. No one chose to show you immediately a pretty big hint. Well, not even a hint, just telling you flat out like you're going to see some crazy shit when the protagonist is on the staircase looking at the bomb and he's like down he's got a guy with a gun to his head and he watches the hole in the the step or in the back of the chair like invert yeah come (laughs) there's a bullet hole that comes back together and heals itself and then he turns around and the guy behind him gets shot like the bullet came out of the hole into him And then a strange man runs away with a little red. Yeah, he's uh, got a backpack that's got like this weird little red string. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's almost like that was foreshadowing. Um, Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) you're like, that I should pay attention (laughs) to. Right. But no one never shies away from making sure you know, like, 
oh, I, I need to retain that right there. Because he does it yeah. in all of his movies where it'll be a close-up of like, mm -hmm. they, he basically might as well flash, pay attention, yeah. pay attention. Hey, dummy. <laughs> Look at this thing. Ding, 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 Which ding, ding. I appreciate because I need that sometimes. <laughs> There's a lot of like, he does, yeah, he does that where it's like the focus will shift and you'll like, your eyes will be drawn to it or... There's a time a little in a minute where um, John Demi Washington makes like a motion with his hands while he's holding a gun and the camera like slowly pans down where it like cuts off his head. And if you're looking at his face, you're like, what the fuck is going on? But then you realize, oh, he's trying to show me what he's doing with his hands down here <laughs> because he's putting he's doing a gesture. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's amazing. Um, but the that whole scene where he's like trying to save the guy and they extract him and there's so much going on it's so hard to keep track of what's going on but they drop these like bombs like the cops are dropping bombs yeah. and and you're like what is happening and you realize that they are trying to kill this asset like the police are trying to kill the, the asset, asset not just That's the, the word that kept eluding uh, not just the not just the like terrorist dudes that ran in but the police are also trying to kill them and so they're using it as like a cover for just a big disturbance. And then yeah. this is like that guy they actually want to kill. And so they're putting all these bombs down. The protagonist comes in and he's like, I don't need to save all these people, but I'm still going to save them. And he runs back into the burning building basically and, uh, and collects them all very quickly, which is awesome. And then throws them out and they all run outside. And then they get in the van and there's strange people in the van <laughs> That you don't, and you're like, and he doesn't know who they are, and you don't know who they are, and then you realize that he's being taken captive because his team isn't there. The well, it's yeah, just it, all you very find confusing out very fast, pretty quick. Like he hops in the van and he's like, "What the hell's going on?" And immediately yeah. you're like, "Oh shit, the plan backfired. Like something's wrong. Someone mm. else infiltrated this whole thing." And then you get potentially one of the darkest moments in a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie. Like, yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah, every time I watch it, it kind of throws me off guard a little bit because the rest of the movie is pretty standard PG-13 rated. But this like scene, it's like so intense <laughs> where he's being tortured by this Russian guy the he's having his teeth pulled out one by one mm -hmm. and he's being told to like give up his team and he's refusing to do it and then he dives forward and takes that uh yeah, he pill you watch him take a cyanide pill and like convulse and die yeah and his like eye goes bloodshot <laughs> and then it goes tenant and you're like what the fuck am i about well, to and watch? even like even besides the torture aspect of that scene mm -hmm. the way it was shot and just the there's like a weird lighting and graininess that switches you go from like mm. a very clean look and then mm. it's gross and dirty he yeah. dies mm -hmm. and you get title and then it's <laughs> polished and clean for like the rest yeah. of the movie so that one blip yeah. is just so <laughs> like off-putting yeah will. and it's stressful because you're it's in a train stressful. yard there's trains going back and forth you don't know if another one's like going to come down the middle and hit him the camera will like like 
pan out to the side and you're on the other side of the train watching through the train as this guy's like reaching in yeah. and grabbing his mouth with pliers and stuff. Uh, it's shot great, but it is very it's effective in the way that it's like stresses you out. <laughs> Did you notice? Oh, I'm going to hold off on my question until we get to a scene okay. a little while later. But Nolan did something really interesting in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, he kind of replicated something that he previously did in Dunkirk. And I'm wondering if you mm. caught it. I'll ask okay. when we get to the specific scene later on. But I'm curious to know okay. if you caught it. Yeah, please do. Um, I have a theory about the cyanide capsule that we'll get back to later Ooh. on. Because they like show it and the guy shows it in his mouth. And so you know exactly what it looks like, the CIA issue cyanide capsule. Um, and then in the very next scene, post title card, he's in a bed. The guy's like, welcome to the afterlife. And he tells him, as you're like, oh, maybe it was not real that this guy was ripping out his teeth. He's like, no, he tells him, yeah, we rebuilt your mouth. You've been in a coma for a while. <laughs> right. He tells you, like, you've been in an induced coma for, I don't even think he tells him the time period, actually. No. I think it just so. says, like, you've been in a coma. So you as a viewer, yeah. you're like, you're right at the same page as the protagonist going, well, how long has it been? Yeah. Like, and it's like, what? You rebuilt my mouth. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> That's got to take some time. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I love that he goes through all that. He's on the boat with the guy. And then the guy's like, hey, you passed a test. And we realized that you are really. Uh, you run into the burning building. You are a hero. We need you to help us with this secret mission. And then the protagonist is like, I resign. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want my team. <laughs> right. He's like, anymore. nope, nope. Turns out the spy life, not for me. <laughs> yeah. I think I've gone as far as I want to go in the spy life, <laughs> but he sucks them in. And he says, actually, we're trying to stop a plot that will end like it will save everybody on the planet if you're able to stop it. And, uh, and so he's like, okay, I'm a little intrigued and gets sucked back in. And he tells him that he doesn't know much. He says, but he has a word tenet and he has a gesture, which is doing this, put your fingers together. And, uh, no, I know. I'm just telling the audience. Oh, you're telling the people yeah. only listening. Yeah. You got to put yeah. your hands together. You put your fingers you together and you, yeah, you got to interlock like your fingers. This. It's like time going forward and backward and meeting in the middle and working together. If you notice when he does it too, he kind of like stresses it where he like pulls his fingers. And if you do that, your fingers kind of lock. So he's kind of showing him like, yeah, that's true. The whole gesture. There's something to the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, for sure. Um, And I love, I, well, I love all of the spy stuff. I love the code words. I love that we live in a twilight world and no yeah. friends at dusk. And I love the gestures. I love how I mentioned a second ago, uh, there's a couple times where he shows him and he's like, if you say the word and do the gesture, it'll open all of the right doors and some of the wrong ones. And so he goes to a, in the middle of the ocean windmill farm to get picked up. By the way, that's a real windmill yeah. farm out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of my favorite things about how you know that this character is the protagonist is that every time he's waiting around, he's doing pull-ups because he's just 
that's what protagonists do that you have to just do pull-ups all the time um but he gets picked up from that and then he goes to meet this doctor or scientist i call her a doctor because she's wearing a lab coat and i'm an idiot but she's a scientist and uh he does that he's like just throws tenet into a sentence yeah. casually and then puts his hands puts his clipboard under his arm and puts his hands together like this and uh if you're not paying attention and noticing it just looks like a normal thing but if you are and you should uh it's you're like oh that's the thing he's doing the thing and he's trying to get in and it works and yeah, then he, does he it doesn't even with, like uh, argue or really respond she sees him mm -hmm. make the gesture say the word tenet and she just like casually grabs her badge walks over to a door and goes <laughs> beep yeah and <laughs> yeah. those are my favorite kinds of things where it means something to the people that it are paying attention and to everybody else it's just oblivious those are the best spycraft yeah. things um so i love picking up on that and feeling like i'm in the know while i'm watching it what's crazy is like at this point in the movie we're really only i don't even know if we are a full half hour into the film at this point no we are 12 minutes and 12 13 minutes into the movie when they meet you you did a timestamp. <laughs> I'm currently watching the movie while we talk. Yes. <laughs> and we're at that exact moment. You are pulling a me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so much has happened in the first 13 minutes. 13 minutes. 13 minutes. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You've already seen parts of the world that none of us probably even ever thought existed. Mm -hmm. We've been shown inversion without realizing that we saw inversion <laughs> we saw a weird thing yeah <laughs> we saw a weird thing and a lot of violence and all mm -hmm. of a sudden she like walks him into that room there's a big mm -hmm. shot up block of wall or stone <laughs> and she just like i love her delivery where you can tell she's been working on this shit for long enough that it doesn't mm -hmm. really affect her it's ordinary it's yeah. ordinary to her and it's such a weird <laughs> Like, how, how much of this shit would you have to deal with on a daily basis to be like, just another day at work, not that right. interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's like, this is just the materials I've been assigned to research or something like that. Yeah. You're like, well, this is pretty special dang materials <laughs> to be like, assigned. This is kind of crazy shit, lady. <laughs> be more yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she describes it in a lot of words that I only partly understand. So she describes, she gives him, tells him to point the gun and shoot at the wall. And he's like, the gun is empty. And she's like, just do it anyway, fuckhead. And he does. And then the gun fires and, and he opens it and there's a bullet in there. And she describes that this bullet is actually, it's had its entropy reversed which I don't exactly know what entropy is. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. According to the dictionary, yeah. <clears throat> you're going to hate this definition. Okay. Oh. A thermodynamic quantity representing, to, representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work, often interpreted <laughs> as the degree of disorder or randomness <laughs> in the system. Okay. That's um, definition di one. Definition dear dictionary two. people, dear dictionary people, I understood <laughs> less words in that than I understood. <laughs> definition two, 
lack of order or predictability, gradual decline into disorder. Okay, so that's what I understood entropy to be more or less, is that it is the gradual decline of everything. Everything in the world is deteriorating slowly. And so what it sounds like to me is if you inverse the entropy of every object or an object, a specific object, then it will go from decay and disorder backwards to order and creation, essentially. And so that was like the most mind-blowing piece originally, the first watch of that time is not just a human construct of like, we're all traveling through time because we know what time is, but that objects themselves also are perceiving time their own specific way. And an object goes from being created to being destroyed. And it could potentially go from being destroyed to being created like a bullet, for example. So that's interesting. Um, And she, so she's like, there's this in the future somewhere, they're turning all these things into going backwards. We perceive, well, we perceive them as going backwards in time. And she does a great thing, which I think is Nolan talking to the audience where she's like, don't try to understand it, (laughs) just feel it. And she literally says, don't understand it, just feel it, which I think works so well with uh, not just Tenet, but a lot of Nolan's movies where it's more about like, you can try to understand all of the little things, but you don't have to understand it. And it may even be better if you're not a genius physicist kind of person that a lot of it is like, he just tells you enough of it to make sense or sound plausible and get you on board. And then he does that with, I think uh, Inception is probably the best example where he's trying to tell you about dreams and then he just tells you a couple of things that everybody knows about dreams the kick when you feel like you're falling and you wake up you're like oh okay that's how you get out of a dream i totally get that and time going slower in a dream and all of this stuff like he tells you enough and you're like sure i buy into that that makes total sense and so that is all that you really need you don't need all of the other stuff it's just like it, it looks like it's going backwards they're going backwards in time from where they were to back towards where they came from. Um, that's all you need to know, basically. Well, then she shows him the video, right? Where it's yeah. like, it looks like he's dropping it, but it's actually reverse. So the bullet's yeah. like returning to his and he has he has all of these brilliant questions. Like, what does that mean for uh, like free will and all of this stuff? <laughs> right. It's like, well, either way that it wouldn't have happened unless you made it happen in either direction you play the tape you made it happen um i think it just does a good job of catching all of those doubters who would have had those like gotcha questions <laughs> right it it either answers them immediately or it says it doesn't actually matter just forget <laughs> about it <laughs> it's like focus on the things i'm telling you that matters to the story the rest of it you can think about and question and all this stuff, but there's no real answer. Yeah. And then he tells her, like, I'm not seeing uh, apocalypse here. I'm not seeing the end of the world yeah. here. Sending some bullets backwards. Right. Cares? And so she takes him to that hallway and pulls out, like, a couple drawers full of random items. I love that it's not one specific kind. I love how random it is. As she's trying to explain to him, like, the more objects 
that are mm-hmm. inverted that have their entropy all fucked with, the mm-hmm. worse it is for everyone because it'll eventually make its impact. Yeah. Which I did not understand that concept until about my fourth time watching <laughs> it, where I was like, oh my God, is that what they're worried about happening? I finally figured yeah. it out. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Now, but she also uses big words that I didn't understand. Does use a couple words, big words. She's like, I got the dick. Well, she talks about those those objects are the detritus of a coming, wor- a coming war. And I was like, I don't know what detritus means. But it just means like debris or or uh, rubble or waste, waste of or kind. debris of any kind. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, the just the debris of a coming war. It's just the artifacts that have, which sounds incredibly ominous this early in the movie, <laughs> right? So it's a great line. Fun fact about that hallway shot, right? Of all those drawers. Yeah. At a certain point, those drawers are hand painted down that aisle oh really yes <laughs> they're not like functional drawers no they're hand painted that's awesome but it looks so real again no green screen <laughs> what it's 2023 and a movie like tenet does not have green screen it only gets crazier <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's true um so from there the protagonist goes to Mumbai mm-hmm. and meets up with, he makes a phone call and he says he needs to meet this arms dealer because he wants to see like where these bullets were manufactured. Maybe he can figure out how they went backwards in time. He goes there, he meets Neil, who is uh, just a, apparently assigned by whatever contact he contacted to help him meet this arms dealer or get into his building. Played by Robert Pattinson. One of my favorite roles of his. He, he's so, I love that. Like, I thought he was awesome the first time I saw this movie, but every time I watch mm. Tenet, I am like, he almost steals this whole movie away yeah. from the protagonist, from John David Washington. Like, he comes yeah. close because he's so <laughs> yeah. much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, he's so enjoyable, and I completely agree. And I think after you've seen it one time, then you kind of know his character arc and you are you picking up all the hints that he's dropping yeah. throughout it that he knows more than he's letting on and why. Um, and that makes it even more fun. Oh, like it's yeah. fun the first time, but it's there's so many layers that he throws in there because he understands the character in the story before you do that it's very rewatchable. Yeah. Oh, um, I love but, when he's like, what does he order? He orders like a tequila or something, and then he's like, and he'll have a Diet Coke. It's such a like, yeah. this guy's lame, and he's like, what if I wanted to have something to drink? You don't drink on the job. Like, <laughs> I Well, I normally drink seltzer water. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they, they need to go into this arms dealer's house, and the way they get into it is, of course, in a Christopher Nolan movie, the most elaborate way possible. <laughs> And the most entertaining way possible. It's so bonkers. <laughs> and I love the dialogue leading up to it. It was like, well, it's bun- it's bungee jumpable. And he's like, I don't think bungee jumpable is a word. <laughs> but uh, even so, you shouldn't. And he's like, and then he talks about, well, we're not going to bungee jump out. Well, we might bungee jump out, but we're definitely going to bungee jump in. And you're <laughs> yeah, like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he shows you. 
and they like use water balloon launchers to launch these lines up and then they have these cool vests on with these like ropes down their back yeah and then they just like launch themselves they up literally into the launch. building it's it's on the pulley system and it's like mm-hmm. mechanized and they're locked in place until they're not so the tension of the rope <laughs> is what like pulls them up to the building mm-hmm. it's bonkers <laughs> yeah and, and when they're up there that's where he does the thing where he's talk. he meets the dude who he thinks is the arms dealer and then you find out no it's actually the lady and uh she's priya. using her husband yeah priya she's using her husband as the front of the, or the face as an arms mm-hmm. dealer but she's actually running things and uh and he does the hand gesture and she realizes oh you're in on the tenant thing and so they have a conversation um and she tells him all the things about Seder is this arms dealer who is needs plutonium to uh, 41 and uh, you need to basically go find him or go find him and all this stuff. And, uh, and then sets him up with, uh, I think she sets him up with Sir Michael. Yeah. Well, you're the one watching it. <laughs> I know I skipped. <laughs> I read, just went over that part, but then they, <laughs> Bungee jump out by uh, it's so subtle but so clever where they he jumps out of the building and then all of the ropes on his back like are what was he was using to bungee jump out. So once they get to the bottom, he doesn't have that on it. Yeah, they like they unravel out, which is kind of crazy. That's the word I was looking for unravel. (laughs) Um, and so then he goes to meet uh, Sir Michael, who is uh. I completely just blamed it's Michael on Caine. the guy who's in and there's every something single about Nolan seeing movie. Michael Caine in a Chris Nolan movie, thanks to him yeah. being Alfred, where you're like, it's Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so fun, and he has the smallest role in this movie, but it is so fun to see. But him it's so it. good to see Michael Caine in a Nolan film. I mm-hmm. dread when like Michael Caine passes away because he's he's pretty old now. Yeah, he's up there. Uh and he does not appear in a Christopher Nolan film. I will be sad. I will be very yeah. sad. <laughs> I will too. Um, and so th- this is very, this, everything leading up to all of this stuff is very spy, basic oh, spy yeah. thriller stuff. Nothing really crazy has happened other than the conversation about entropy and time travel. And you're like, what? what's happening? And then it goes back to normal spy <laughs> stuff. Um, and so they talk about, there's this, guy Seder, he's an arms dealer uh you should get in contact with his wife because she is a art uh estimator whatever you call this appraiser she's an art appraiser and uh there's this whole weird situation where she appraises a fake and and this guy had another fake and so they have it and so they want to give it to the protagonist to get appraised so that he can like have an in with her and apparently meet this arms dealer right they're they're using his it's not even vanity it's not even it's weird the art piece is like it's a goya Mm -hmm. which i never heard of (laughs) which i had never heard of but then again i was like i I know like five kids enough to know what that is i (laughs) yeah is this a real artist? I, if it's a real I artist, know. let us know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could Google it, but why bother? <laughs> I, I'm kind of scared to Google after trying to read the definition of entropy. So, <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. Um, but yeah, he's like told, hey, use the wife to to get in with the guy. And you don't have to utilize like sex. Just utilize yeah, seduction. This, this piece of art. Do that because if you have a co- uh, have this art piece, then it, it'll raise red flags and that's what will draw Sater out. Because the wife mm-hmm. told him his copy is real, but it's fake. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he meets the wife. And one, one of the things I love, we haven't talked about it yet, but John David Washington's character is called the protagonist. Like everyone calls have, him the protagonist. And he doesn't have a name. And it's funny. It's like a weird drinking game that I've come up with, with the many times that I've watched it. Every time someone introduces themselves to him and he deflects it and doesn't introduce himself, when you're watching it, it feels so natural and normal and you don't even mind. Right. But if you're paying attention, you're like, that happened again. That happened again. (laughs) Like Neil introduced himself. This lady introduced himself. Cat. All of these people. And he's just like, Goya, I'm here to deliver. (laughs) Right. She's like, Mr. Goya? No, I have a Goya. (laughs) Like yeah, and you're like, oh, now we're moving on from the introduction now. <laughs> it's so funny, and uh, so yeah, try that every time he gets introduced and doesn't tell you his name, uh, take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but she immediately is like, "This is a fake," and I've seen one like this before. Mm-hmm. And then they have this whole conversation of, uh, "I am using it for information in order to meet your husband," basically. Yeah. And then she tells basically her life story of she is a captive of her husband because she, I didn't understand this part at first. um, And I just assumed that I missed a lot, but it seems, I guess, pretty simple in the sense that she appraised an art piece legitimately, believed it was real. Her husband bought it for $9 million and then it ended up being a fake. And instead of, doing anything about like i guess recouping that he's holding it over her as um as some as like a failure of hers and using it that if she if she doesn't do whatever he wants and let him do whatever he wants like take his son and she he can control her then he would out her as a terrible art appraiser or something so well he's already kind of like obviously super abusive physically yeah. and verbally. Um, he's already got so much power and he's already bought her so much. She's cost mm-hmm. him a lot of money. So he's made it pretty clear that anything she attempts to do against him, yeah, he'll completely destroy her life. And he'll do that in the, the kind of most malicious way of, ripping her son away from her taking like permanently taking yeah. her child away and the, child the only is, thing she cares about yeah and her son is the only thing that she's like truly so dedicated to um so he's it's basically i i've always taken that as the the art piece was just kind of like an example of something just another piece of his power over her mm-hmm. and she just it was just another like you know, kind of goddamn it moment from her because she was she had known someone. They were trying to like, weren't they trying to set up kind of a, a fake deal or whatever? Like the the fake art piece was intentionally sold to the husband, 
to help her get out. I think that's what he believes. Or that's what he believed. T- yeah. She tells the protagonist that it was legitimately a mistake on her yeah, part, and she did. But not because he doesn't believe her, and he only takes yeah. what he perceives to be true, that's what mm-hmm. he's holding over her, and it cost yeah, him nine I, million dollars. Yeah, and I I do agree. I think it's just like one of many things. Right. He says later on that all of the things that he does for them and his arm stealing and stuff puts the clothes on her back, puts her kid in school, and all this stuff, and so he definitely holds his whole their whole life um and what he's provided over her yeah. as a way to control her so if it wasn't that it would be something else yeah, right. just abusive that just happens yeah. to be the end for the protagonist yeah. but i love her i love oh, she's so awesome the character of cat and i love the actress elizabeth she's Debicki. so awesome to watch <laughs> um, apparently no one wrote it explicitly for her not originally not so originally. not originally he had it had the character completely well not completely different but she was written differently his wife told him to watch the movie widows that she's in Mm. and after he watched widows he rewrote the character for her what i love what i really respect uh of nolan in terms of casting her in the role of Mm -hmm. cat but the actress is like six three or something like that yeah, she's tall. Crazy tall. Amazon. <laughs> and most of the time, a studio will try to uh, kind of trick the viewer and, yeah. and make tall actors or actresses seem shorter and vice versa for short ones, unless you're Danny DeVito, and then there's no helping that. Uh, yeah. He's just always short. But Nolan and his costume designer. And if you're a, if you're Tom Cruise, it's in your contract. You have to appear taller. Than uh, right, actually, that's true. Um, <laughs> but when it came to her, they decided we're not we're not going to shy away from her height. In fact, let's mm-hmm. actually kind of accentuate. Like, let's make it obvious that she towers over almost everybody in the movie. Yeah, and they're like, you know what else? What else we need instead of just the the slender dress or her her formal wear wear let's mm. give her high heels let's put a six three <laughs> right. woman in like five inch heels yeah perfect but she kills <laughs> it i love it i i thought that she was does. really cool what a what a testament to a whole crew of filmmakers who instead of going the normal route of being like well we have to manipulate your look mm-hmm. so that you fit a certain whatever no one of these guys are like nah you're tall as shit so we're gonna show you as being tall as hell (laughs) yeah because it's awesome it's awesome and there's no reason to downplay and it's so much better she comes across so real and genuine now i haven't seen much with her except Mm. for she's also in one of my favorite uh other spy movies she's in uh the man from uncle oh really yeah i didn't notice that I hope I'm saying the right actress. I'm pretty positive I am, but um, yeah, I she's awesome. She's so good. She is, yeah. And their whole You're dinner right. scene is—I love that dinner scene. It's such a yeah. like brutal conversation between the two, and and then the goons show up. <laughs> I love the goons. <laughs> Yeah, and the fight in the kitchen is just the another great example. Fucking fight in the kitchen. Of his physicality that he 
goes from just like walking like normal to just like throwing these punches in such a great way. In a great way. And and in such a like non-stylized way, which makes that fight scene so effective. I love it. Definitely. When he grabs the fucking cheese grater and just starts like (laughs) smacking the guy over the head with it, like... It grates the shit out of his face. <laughs> That's my yeah. favorite part of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I I just looked up John David Washington's height. He's only 5'9". Oh, really? Yeah, which she... makes it even more like seeing them at this different level. Yeah. She's half a foot taller than him. <laughs> By the way, I That's... I checked. I was right. She is in The Man from Uncle. Okay. Go I'm going to have to rewatch it five. I love that movie. All right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the way that he walks out of the kitchen after that fight and like puts his coat back together, it's a very bond thing. Super bond. Yeah. <laughs> I love the reaction of her driver where he's telling her, you know, she wants to get out of there. Cause she's like, mm-hmm. someone wanted to help me and take this guy down. And now he's being mm-hmm. killed in the kitchen. Like you can tell she immediately see it. she's been put through this already. Like this is yeah. bringing up some bad trauma. This is triggering yeah. for her. And the driver's like, he wants you to see it. It's, you know, he gets what he wants. And then, yeah, he comes out, buttons his coat, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I love the driver's reaction where it's that instant, like, fuck me. <laughs> like, speeds yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, shit, you shouldn't see this part. It's not supposed it's to happen. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just the way that's all set up, it's so ominous and before you've even met the villain of the movie you're like this guy is scary and he is he is super scary (laughs) Uh, so let's see where are we so the (laughs) where are we in time i need to go back um the the kitchen well we just finished the kitchen fight the next, the, after the kitchen fight, they basically jump into planning the airport heist. Yeah. And the the way that they set that up is, so this whole movie is paced so quickly because there's a lot of shit to fit in two and a half hours. And so I love the airport heist and the highway heist because the planning phases are like, a quick conversation and then you're doing and it. then you're doing there's, it <laughs> there's hardly any like lead up it's like hey have you heard of a free port it's at the airport they put a bunch of paintings in it uh this painting is there also there's something weird in the middle of it we don't know what it is well, and but sator owns and operates all this stuff i love that scene so the first couple times that i saw the movie you know in the theater with you and then i mm. bought it when it came out rewatched it you get so hung up on the painting, but yeah. they like the protagonist has a he even points it out on a fucking map of the building. Yeah, they have a blueprint and they're like, hey, there's a thing in the middle. We don't know. What it <laughs> and is. they're like, that's the target. <laughs> but the whole setup <laughs> is like you as a viewer are trying to figure out what is the painting. And the whole thing is like, mm-hmm. we just needed a way to figure out what was in this room. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and she knows a lot about it because the painting is there yeah. and all this stuff. And Sater owns it, and they go there apparently pretty regularly because he needs to go there a lot, um, which is a hint. And 
and so yeah he kind of tells it about it and then the protagonist is telling neil about it and that's just the whole setup of it i love when they're planning it and they're trying to figure out how to get in there and neil's like well we could crash a plane <laughs> and then he's like not from the air <laughs> right don't not be so from dramatic the air. <laughs> And just the way he talks about, not from the air, it's nothing so dramatic. I imagine that's how Christopher Nolan is pitching this to Warner Brothers, where he's like, I'm going to crash a plane, not from the air. Don't be so dramatic. It's kind of a big plane, though. So, so it's funny you said that in the making of that's on the, the Blu-ray, which seriously, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Everyone yeah. should watch this making of. They talk about that scene in the planning. And you are absolutely correct, Jake. <laughs> okay. When he was telling the crew of like, here's, we're, we're going to crash an airplane. Their original thought was, well, well it's Nolan, so we can't mm -hmm. make a digital explosion. So they're like, yeah. okay, so we'll, we'll like make miniatures and blow them up. No, no, no. A real plane. <laughs> but like, not what you're thinking. Like, not, not. <laughs> yeah. Not just from the sky. Right, like, right. They'll just drive. And they're it like, into okay, a, a real plane. We're gonna blow up a Start real a plane. All right. And then it's they were like, we found this yard full of old, like, uh, discontinued planes. You know, they're not operational. They're just they're sitting mm -hmm. in this giant field. And they were looking at a bunch that were like, well, we could probably blow this one up. They're like small. I mean, they're big, but they're small planes. And I guess Nolan, mm -hmm. just like Neil says, where he's like, that's a bit. This is a little dramatic. Where Nolan was like, how about that one? And he pointed to the fucking 747. And everyone's reaction, I guess, was like, of course, that's the plane you want to blow up. Yeah, I love how... He, he's a very opposed to green screen and VFX. He does use visual effects in sometimes all you his have movies. To. Um, but even by his standards of a, as few VFX yeah. as possible, Tenet is way lower. It's the I lowest one out that, of all of his movies. Yeah. All, all of his other ones like uh, Batman and stat. Interstellar, it's like 600 and something, 400 to 600. And Tenet was like so I, or I have the stat. Okay. So Tenet has a total of 280 visual effects shots. So that's okay. like digital special effects. Yeah. That is less than most modern romantic comedies use. <laughs> that's amazing. So for you yeah, people. Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, and Inception all had between 450 and 620. Right. The, the Matrix had over 400. Avatar The Way of Water has 3,200. <laughs> I was like, that's going to be an absurd amount. <laughs> it's it's 3,009 more. <laughs> <laughs> like, it didn't specifically call out like a romantic comedy. I just like that the stat was like, this is less than most rom-coms made today. I'm yeah. like, you're telling me I could go watch. What's that shitty one? I just watched somebody I used to know or whatever. And that okay. probably has more digital effects in it than tenant. <laughs> and when yeah. you watch tenant, the way we perceive movies, our brains would automatically be like, that's fake. There's no way they yeah. did that. No, they did. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, well, I love that he originally did plan to do miniatures and CGI for it, but then it was weirdly cheaper to actually get a real plane and blow it up, which is not terribly common. A lot of the appeal of CGI is that it tends to be cheaper than practical effects. Right. But in this giant budget movie, he's like, let's just be frugal and blow up a real plane. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. <laughs> so they did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they infiltrate. So the whole point is that if they blow up the plane into the building, then it will set off the lockdown procedures. Mm -hmm. And then all of the, then they can pick the locks on the doors and get to the center of the thing while trying to avoid halide gas, which will suffocate them immediately. It's very exciting. The music is very exciting. Oh, my God. <laughs> but then they get to the middle of it, of this Pentagon, and unlock both of the doors, and there's a thing in the middle of the room. Yeah, there, well, there's like... It's, it's two turnstiles, but it looks like one. Yeah. And they're the Neil and the protagonist unlock two different doors, which are leading to two separate rooms separated by glass in the yeah, middle. Yeah, there's like a, a glass with chicken wire partition in between. It's separating. You can yeah. tell like it has to be separated. Yeah. But you and have no clue why. Holes. There's bullet holes in the glass and he warns him, the private nor warns Neil not to touch it because it hasn't happened yet. And you're like, what? What? Where are we going with this? <laughs> and then he picks up the gun that's been taken apart and this figure, a masked figure, well, yeah, dies the turnstiles start turning. So you're like, "Oh shit, something's happening," which is yeah. always a great moment in like an it's action so thriller, exciting. and especially in a spy thriller, where you're like, "Oh shit, something yeah. wasn't." Oh, <laughs> and it's always great when the heroes of the movie don't know what's going on, mm -hmm. and they're like. I didn't anticipate this. I don't know where this is going. And so you're finding out with them. I love when that happens. But the way that this guy dives out of the <laughs> of the thing, two guys, yep. one on each side, dive out of this turnstile and and one runs away, one starts attacking him, but he's he's has the force. He can like reach out and he's <laughs> the gun parts fly towards his hand. And then he assembles the gun and starts firing at him. And then, and then as the fight progresses, you realize there's something else going on here because he's like moving in erratic ways and gravity doesn't seem to affect him in the same way. And you don't know what's going on, but it's weird and it's exciting and you're here for it. At least I'm right. here for it. Oh yeah. Oh, hey. You're bored by it. I'm not. I'm here for not. It. We're recording late at night. <laughs> Fuck you. I was trying to suppress it so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I love the the editing on this one is so crazy. So yeah, you mm -hmm. get this weird, possibly once again, Nolan's like everyone thought the the anti-gravity fight scene in Inception was bonkers. Watch mm -hmm. this. We're going to train our actors to fight backwards. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you're like, wait, what? Yeah. But out of two of them, one of them's fighting backwards. The other one is fighting at like normal time. Yeah. And we're going to film it from several different angles at different times. <laughs> so this should be fun. Go. But it goes from And like it's this... like the first shot scene that they filmed of the movie. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just get this out of the way. Well, you, you got to figure out how you're going to film the rest of it at some point. So might as well yeah. get your feet wet. Yeah. But I love how you go from this crazy, unique fist fight that is all mm -hmm. over the place. And then it cuts to Neil, who is chasing down the other guy that ran out of the other side of the turnstile, and it's normal. Mm -hmm. So your brain's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Why isn't this guy twitchy as hell, too? Mm -hmm. He's not. But yeah, Neil chases him down. They have like the fastest, it's not even like an altercation. Neil manages to pull his helmet off, and that's about it. And yeah, then but you don't see anything because it's just down the hall. Yeah, you don't Neil see shit. Neil just kind of like, not worth it. <laughs> but you see on his face, he's like, oh, I, he's <laughs> surprised by something and you don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> and then decides to go back to the protagonist to, to help him out. Because mm -hmm. he was one in the actual dog fight. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> but that fight scene is like. It's so, there's so much to the fight scene that if you like blink, mm -hmm. you completely miss. Like yeah. the first two times I saw this movie, I never even realized that the protagonist like stabs the dude's arm. Yeah. I, I didn't see it at all the first <laughs> couple times I watched the movie and then rewatching it again over time. And then especially the last couple weeks, I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things like that where you're like, oh, that is why he does that, because that means that this happens. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I was I was very it's a riddle. I was thankful I was watching it by myself because I feel like anyone else would have been like, Really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's important that he gets stabbed and it makes more sense later on. But yeah, you kind of I notice it more in the reverse than I do in the forward. Yeah that it's more clear <laughs> um but at, so after that they do escape and then what well this the fight. way the fight ends i feel like we have to mention the way the fight ends because it's mm -hmm. so odd the dude's yeah. on the floor and all of a sudden he like gets sucked through the the bay door yeah it's gotten blown open a little bit but it's not open it's like all of a sudden inverted itself and moved backwards and yeah, you're like you know, the jet engine is like pulling it or blowing it you don't really know what's he, going yeah on. he just like he gets he slides underneath the bay door and you're like the fuck and even the protagonist has that look of like what the hell was that yeah so that was weird <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong he's not wrong um but the, I love the interview after, not the interview, but the conversation between Neil and the protagonist yeah. where they're in the hotel room and Neil's like, well, I've seen too much because I, that was not what we went in there to get. <laughs> I... And then he tells him like kind of the things that he learned at the scientist office yeah. of like the entropy of objects are being inverted and all this stuff. 
And Neil's like, oh, you mean like these two scientists, they had these theories about these electrons and electrons. All There's only one electron that's going back and forth in time and all of this stuff. And he's like, sure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and Neil's like, well, I have a I have a degree in physics. And he's like, well, try to keep up. Then. <laughs> but that's like a real thing that I was deeply Googling and trying desperately to understand is that uh hold on where is that note about that guy there's a bunch of scientists where the richard Feynman and john wheeler in 1940 they had this one electron universe theory and where there's not like multiple electrons there's just one and it's able to go forward and backward through time and so if you actually look into what he mentions and as like the inspiration for it ends up being Nolan's like inspiration for the premise mm -hmm. of the story of like other things in nature may be able to do this. And oh, so okay. we could potentially <clears throat> do this as well. It's crazy. Hmm. Uh, so I think from there he goes to have a conversation with Priya. Uh, it's more or less just like you need to get in and meet Seder and, and the two. Well, yeah, and that's is, when he asked her about like, is it safe to have British intelligence around? Which I always find kind of funny because, like, you've already been hanging out with British intelligence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sir Michael Crowley was British intelligence. <laughs> um, and, but then they, that's what gets him to get Cat to get him onto Sater's boat. Mm -hmm. And so that's the portion of the film where he essentially goes into the lion's den and meets you meet Sater as the audience first because he drops off cat at her yacht and the villain lives on a yacht which is a very bond villain thing to do <laughs> and uh you meet uh kenneth branagh who has a russian accent and is as formidable and imposing as you imagine he would be when he like tells him like he sent her son away and she's hanging out with her friend and and uh he's so scary he's frightening like mm. i think this might be one of kenneth Branagh's best roles yeah he's been around I mean, forever he's already known for just being like such a theatrical charismatic actor all of his characters are they're up there mm. <clears throat> but there's something about watching him in this role that i'm like you are deeply disturbing to watch mm -hmm. just in the way he like he responds to situations his outbursts just the constant checking of his pulse and being like huh that ain't bad for that kind of exertion and you're like you are fucked up <laughs> yeah after you just beat a man almost to death with a gold bar right <laughs> yeah he's terrifying the entire time uh, before he's done anything and then he starts doing things and you're like oh you're even scared <laughs> right somehow. like oh you really are this horrible cool <laughs> yeah it's great um but so he get she cat gets the protagonist invited to a dinner where he meets andre sador uh who gives him a very colorful description of how he's going to cut a hole in his throat I love how he says, we're going to cut your throat, not a slice, like a puncture through yeah, your throat. Yeah, like a hole. 
yeah. to stuff your and balls then, in. Well, stick your balls into them. It's extremely satisfying to see somebody <laughs> who you don't like choke on their balls. Um, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, like I said, very scary man. His That scene is great because to me, I'm like, he's an effective villain. The only reason mm-hmm. he doesn't kill the protagonist right there, like he said he's going to, is because the mm-hmm. protagonist mentions the opera and, and hints right. to like, I know what was going on with the 241. Which is, I love how the protagonist does not get flustered by that yeah. very elaborate torture uh, threat. He's like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, do you like opera, though? <laughs> <laughs> cool story, bro. Cool story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and But it, yeah, it does catch his attention. He's like, all right, I'll keep you around and figure out what you know about the just that. The way that, like, he doesn't even greet him. He doesn't care. I think Seder might be the only character that's like, I don't give a shit who you are, what you're for. Yeah. His first line is, how do you want to die? Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. I would like to die old. <laughs> right, like, you chose the wrong profession. Mm-hmm. To me, that just shows, like, what an effective way to get your audience to understand how evil your villain is. Because, yeah, he lets the protagonist live because you kind of have to have plot for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Um, But you imagine and assume anyone before the protagonist who has crossed paths with Seder that Seder doesn't like, like, he has just straight up killed him. He's pulled the trigger. Right. You know, whether it's... No hesitation. No hesitation, no care. And that's always been, like, a thing with movie villains is a lot of them will hesitate or worry about their big speeches and all that instead of just pulling the trigger. Seder is not that guy. He's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm going to shoot someone. And he, I mean, he does later on where he gives a countdown and actually pulls the trigger. You don't see that a lot from movie villains. No, that's true. Um, and so he invites, because of the opera thing, uh, in reference to the the beginning of the movie where they were trying to get that weirdly encapsulated plutonium thing at the opera, um, he invites him to go sailing, mm-hmm. the protagonist to go sailing. And so they go sailing on the craziest boats I've ever seen, <laughs> where they're like these hydrofoil things that rise up out of the yeah. water and go crazy fast. And so on the cool. the making of, I forget the name of those boats, but on the making of, they show them film that whole sequence. Okay. Those boats are insane. They go wicked fast. Wicked fast, and they're massive. And yeah. You can't mount IMAX cameras to them. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> so what they did was they like built half versions of those boats mm-hmm. and mounted the IMAX to the main boat, which the half boat was attached to. But the actors are still okay. in the water. like They're still doing this. And they yeah. had to hire this whole team that professionally race those boats. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of it. Yeah. Um, but the actors had to learn how to sail them essentially <laughs> and they yeah. joke about in the making of of like yeah it was funny watching these guys' faces when we told them well we're gonna drop an actor in the water from a speeding boat and they're like no you're not and they went, no, no we are we're gonna drop them in the water <laughs> not if you want them to live <laughs> right <laughs> 
Not if you want Kenneth Branagh to make more movies. <laughs> Stunt doubles. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But that's the scene I feel draws the most criticism for sound and not being able to hear the dialogue. Yeah. Because they're wearing the helmets with the microphones. They're in the water. It's loud. That whole There's sequence a lot of wind. is so loud and there's so much happening. And then they have like this conversation of what do you know about the 241? Or he says, like, what do you know about opera? Yeah. And they start discussing where the 241 is, what the plan mm-hmm. of like teaming up might look like. Yeah, there's a lot of plot divulged in that scene that you kind of do want to hear. Yes. Luckily, when they released it, you know, physical form or streaming, mm-hmm. subtitles. Even if you yes. don't want to watch the whole movie with the subtitles, you can turn them on real quick for that scene. You get the quick gist of what they're talking about because the scene's mm. actually not that long. Right. And then you can turn your subtitles off. But mm-hmm. subtitles come handy in this movie a few times. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. I watched it with subtitles a couple of times just to make sure I didn't miss any of the things <laughs> yeah, right. I was supposed to be paying attention to. Um, but... At that moment, Kat unclips her husband and tries to kill him, basically. Which should because, have killed him. <laughs> because he saved the uh, Goya that was in the yeah. airport, and he gives this speech about, well, I have a lot of premonitions about what things may happen in the future, and uh, and I just had a hunch that I needed to pull it out. And so she thought she was in the clear, realize she's still under his thumb and so she's kind of very upset about it understandably but the protagonist saves him and doesn't let him drown in or get terribly mangled in this <laughs> fast boat uh, crash and uh and so he dives in and saves him and then show they get back to the yacht she is upset and like she's like how dare you save him and he's like no i need him and he's not what you think he is he's not just an arms dealer he's so much more um and then that's when they have like the face-to-face conversation, the protagonist mm-hmm. and Seder talking about, he gives a, a lot of very interesting, I guess, backstory to his character where he will grew up in Russia. Don't lecture me about radiation because I grew up as a young man digging up nuclear warheads right. that had been lost. And that's how I like made my, fortune essentially that's what he claims is that he would do the jobs nobody else wanted to and and in his home stalsk 12 uh dig up these warheads that had gone missing or whatever and it's it's so interesting to me there's like a flashback sequence that's filmed and he digs up a warhead and he opens it up and he there's a piece of paper inside of it that's like laminated and then he and you only see it for a second and then underneath it there's like gold bars mm-hmm. in there and you're like i didn't know they put gold bars in warheads <laughs> that's a little weird and so i was like pausing it and trying to read the paper it's almost entirely in russian i was gonna say you're it, not gonna read the paper <laughs> but it does say andre sador on it yeah and, it, and you're like and then i'm like why is his name on this paper that he's just dug up as a young man and I think it's from the past. It's like well, you get into very quickly the dead drop scenario where um, the future is sending or the past is sending these objects 
through just burying them and waiting for the past to find them. Um, and so he is able to send them to himself in the future, puts his own name on it to tell him, Hey, me, <laughs> right. I need you. I need you to know this. And I need, here's a bunch of gold and all this stuff. And you're going to be rich and famous and uh, all this stuff. So hints at what's to come very soon. Um, but then you get, I would say the second to most scary scene where which we uh, already like <laughs> said but yeah it's yeah. important you gotta note it Sater <laughs> goes into Kat's room basically to confront her hey what the fuck you dropped me off of a speeding boat um, almost killed me the way he takes off his belt it's one of the, the most way he like... takes off his he takes off his cufflinks and yeah. sets them down and you're like oh that makes sense you don't want to damage them um, and then he takes off his belt and then he puts the cufflinks in the belt holes and like make sure he locks them in and then wraps it yeah. around his hand. And you're like, oh, those are like to make the belt hurt more. Well, and she's telling That's... him like, what are you going to do to me? I forget what she says to him, but he like throws a pillow at her and he, he tells her like fight down on that. It's yeah. so gross. <laughs> like, yeah. And she screams in like a terrible way, and you're like, this, "I am uncomfortable." <laughs> right, in you're this like, situation. "This could get real." And your brain, it's one of those things. You and I have talked about this a lot, um, mm. and I actually had a, an interesting conversation about this with a coworker. But I will focus um, where your brain and Nolan knew this and just leaned into it so heavy. Of like, I'm going to let the audience their minds. You understand this guy is already evil. You know, you just get a real bad sense of who he is as a as a character. To see him like put the cufflinks in, lock it in place, and start wrapping <laughs> it around his hand. Mm -hmm. I feel like had the scene not even gone the way it goes, where like the interruption happens, I don't think we ever would have actually seen him hit cat with the belt mm. mm -hmm. and and you don't but your brain immediately just starts like picturing the worst images of him hitting her with the belt it never yeah. happens but it's so effective yeah. to make you just be so uncomfortable watching mm. him sit like stand over her <laughs> right you don't have to show the abuse to understand that he's abusive right. and it's the same thing with all of those kinds of things. You can imply it, and in some, in a lot of cases, that's more effective because your imagination runs wild. And it does and on that it's, scene. It's worse than anything. It that does, they could I've show seen you. the movie a handful of times. Just watched it yesterday, and my brain, mm -hmm. like, I know exactly where the scene goes. I know you don't mm -hmm. see any like physical violence in that particular scene, minus the pillow throw. Mm -hmm. But my brain, every time I watch it, is immediately just like, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. And you're like, this is gross, this is gross, this is gross. <laughs> yeah. And it's all due to the acting. She is an incredible actress, and she's terrified, but also trying to hold her ground. Mm -hmm. And he is imposing and terrifying and basically 
saying that he will never let her go. Well, yeah. He will, if he can't have her, nobody can have her. And so she will either stay and suffer or be killed. Those are her options at <laughs> right. this point. And it's just the the performances make it exactly how it's impactful so it intense. is. So intense. That close-up of him when he says, mm -hmm. like, if I can't have you, no one can. Yeah. I mean, everyone's heard. I, I feel like that line has been used a handful of times and other stuff, but his delivery of it mm -hmm. is so unique because he, like, draws it out. And it, it's, like, exactly. strained and intense. And it's, like, he's not yelling it at her. And it just yeah. makes it worse to hear it in the way he does it. You're like, this is... Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's true. But he gets interrupted uh, before anything can happen, and he's all pissy about does. that. Because he gets a delivery of gold bars. Uh, the protagonist goes to watch him receive it mm -hmm. and sees that he gets these bars they are inverted and this is the kind of the first time in a while we've seen oh yeah there's some weird sci-fi stuff going on um he the bars like fly up to his hand and and so you're like that's interesting and then he beats this dude's face well, he like, with one of them because he tries to steal one yeah of them. he like he does the inverted and just kind of like you see him have that quick pause and he just kind of looks at the guy He's like counting them. Yeah. And, yeah. And the guy, you know, pulls it out of his back pocket, like, okay, I messed <laughs> up. He looks at the bar and just <laughs> like starts yeah. beating him over the head. And you're like, this is <laughs> terrifying. Damn. Yeah. And yeah, for that scene to follow the bedroom scene with Kat, you're like, I'm so glad she's still alive. <laughs> Yeah, he like you see the gold bar, it's covered in blood, and that was what we mentioned earlier. He taps on his yeah. little like heart monitor and he's like, Huh, not bad for that kind of exertion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the protagonist gets caught, he brings him in and and tries to he's like, I know you're CIA, and he's like, Yeah, of course I'm CIA. Any any clever person would get recruited by the CIA. Um and then he tries to use the, oh, we live in a twilight world line on him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, doesn't fall for it because he's not an idiot. And uh, but then the Seder apparently believes him and says, if you want to steal the plutonium 241 for me, you have to go do this and all this stuff. And so he does. Uh, I love when he throws him the gold bar as like uh, fronting him the cash to do this heist um, and he drops it. I, th I feel like it's because he doesn't want Seder to know that he knows that it's inverted and how to manipulate inverted objects and all this stuff. So he just like drops it and then picks it up like more carefully instead of like, <laughs> it doesn't behave how an inverted object normally would because um, he doesn't want to like let him know. And so he doesn't catch on. And I think it's cool. Yeah. And I, and I love his line of like, let's hope you handle the 241 better than you handle that. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. so they need to plan a heist to steal the plutonium 241 which is the same thing that was in the opera at the beginning the way that they need to steal it is it's in a truck being transported through northern europe the truck is monitored by gps so they can't stop it if it stops then that raises red flags so they need to steal it while it's moving and uh, and also not take it off course or anything like that 
And they set this heist up even faster than the last one, where it's literally just a conversation. It's like, we need four heavy trucks and a fast car that doesn't look fast, and we'll just knock and it out. Remember, no paper trails. We're not going to, like, don't, don't yeah. let anyone know. Yeah, because if it goes into the record, then it's saved, and all of those information that you send out in the world, texts, emails, all that stuff, it's basically being transmitted into the future. Mm -hmm. um, that's just the way communication works, which is very interesting to me. So that, yeah, everything's off the radar and off the books so that they can't be interrupted by somebody from the future. Um, and so the, the actual heist is awesome. It's pretty the, cool. <laughs> the, the trucks and all of the stuff that happens, it reminds me a lot of like, the dark knight or something like that if you liked the the truck situation and that he does a lot with trucks in those um but the music especially always just fires me up for this scene <laughs> and uh the the song specifically when the protagonist gets on the fire truck and it's just like that thumping yeah uh the it, i love it because it feels like it's thematically accurate where the like synthesizer is coming in from one side and then it's being beaten back by the bass on the other side. It's just kind of, you know, how well, the it, movie is doing this. It was like I said earlier, I mean, Nolan had, what's his name? Uh, Ludwig something. I'm sure I'm Ludwig Gorenz. Yeah. He was on set. He was essentially writing the score while watching them film the movie like he was there with them so he was writing the music watching the scene and knowing like actually having a feel for what it looked like it works because the music and tenant is unreal <laughs> it's so good everything about it's so good and it's so interesting to me how it's tenant is the first time in a long time that Hans Zimmer has not yep. scored it um apparently he was really liking his live concert tool tour and also gearing up for Dune, which was coming after this. Um, but uh, Nolan kind of does that where he locks in on a composer for a while. Yeah. His first four movies were uh, David Julian. And then the last several since Batman begins have been Hans Zimmer. So I'm curious if he stays with uh, Ludwig Gornson for a while, he's doing Oppenheimer. Um, so Tenet Oppenheimer, he's kind of on a trajectory for the next several movies, probably. He might be, because I know uh, Zimmer, I think Zimmer is a part of, like, the Warner Brothers. He might actually uh, have a contract with Warner Brothers as well. But okay. I would love to see Zimmer's name attached to Nolan Films again, because that's always been some of my favorite music ever. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Among the best. <laughs> Um, but the, the, so the heist is interesting because all of the stuff that you're expecting is happening. The actual heist, the spy stuff is still happening. It's all very normal so far. And then at the same time, Andre Sador takes Kat to another Freeport. This one is not in an airport. It's at a dock. And he's like, I got a bunch of the art from Oslo that uh, was in that fire from the airplane crash. Um, and I need you to just assess the pieces. And so she's like, okay, sure, whatever. She goes with them. When they get out of the car, there's the most ominous shot, which is one of my favorites. They're walking up and she looks through the 
separated partition in between the like bay doors going into the freeport. And there's a dude in a car with a gas mask on. Well, yeah, he's got the oxygen mask on. Oh yeah, oxygen mask on. And just the way this it's shot as it's like panning through yeah. the separators and it's like solid and it slowly comes into view. I love that. It's the most small, ominous thing. You're like, what's that guy's deal? And <laughs> yeah. why, well, why because up to this that? point, we haven't seen any oxygen masks. So to see a guy sitting on the other side wearing it, you're immediately like, oh, yeah, why? Concerned, <laughs> um, and then, and then the probably the most important thing to talk about is how Andre assaults Cat literally, physically, completely beats the shit out of her, and you're like, everything I was worried about has come true in this. Movie. The only thing you're thankful for from Seder is uh, he's not using the the cuffling belt on her it's true that's true so it could be worse we're at the scene haha dustin remember to interject <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a miracle yeah, yeah. i wrote a note it's been sitting in front of me this whole time it's like don't forget I don't do, forget i should do that more um not to spoil how i do things <laughs> peek behind the curtain right but this scene in particular i didn't notice it until this week Mm-hmm. Because it, it's so effective of like Seder is actually physically assaulting Cat, and you're like, this is gross. But mm-hmm. I noticed it this week and I was like, interesting. And then when I rewatched the movie again, I really paid attention to this little detail that uh, Nolan chose to do in this movie. And it kind of calls back to Dunkirk. Um, did you notice? Anytime there's like excessive violence in Tenet, the -hmm. camera cuts right at the moment of impact. No. So I can't say that I did. So Seder assaulting Cat, if you watch the scene, Mm -hmm. you don't actually see him make any physical contact with her. The camera cuts right before it happens. You see him spit on her, and you yeah. hear it, but you never yeah. see it. And I was like, this is interesting. And then when I rewatched the movie, the most excessive violent scenes that you see in the film is like the car crash, gunshots here and there. But even during the, the darkest part of the movie where he's getting his teeth pulled mm-hmm. out, the train goes by and interrupts what's happening. Yeah. You don't even hear it then. Mm-hmm. But every time there's excessive violence up to one particular scene, which we'll get to, it's like the mm-hmm. only scene that they actually show violence. Okay. But it's deserved and it's gratifying. And I remember your wife's reaction to it. Um, <laughs> but Nolan did this very well where he like, I don't need to rely on actually showing the audience you yeah, know, that cat's getting hit. You can hear her. Well, it's, yeah, but I'm it's not going to so show effective. the actual impact. And it's so like intense to watch. And I, I thought yeah. about that because I was like, man, I've been watching this movie thinking I'm actually seeing her get hit. But mm-hmm. Nolan did such a great job. And the editing is so well done where it's like, nope, nope. Yeah. And 
It would be so, it's a fine line. And I think that he's walking that where if you show too much, especially of that situation mm -hmm. where this man is beating up this woman, um, that you will turn off a lot of the audience yeah. at a certain point. And so to walk that line of be like, tell the story, give you the whole perception of these characters and who he is and who she is and what she's enduring. Um, so that the end is more gratifying and yeah. all of that stuff. And so that you understand him and his motives and all that stuff um, to actually do that without doing that is pretty masterful. It's I think. pretty masterful when I realized it. And like when I thought I caught on to it and rewatched the movie again, I was like, mm -hmm. this is brilliant. And I was like, he does this in Dunkirk. Dunkirk is a war film. It's one of the most intense war films. There's mm -hmm. no, blood and when people are getting mm. shot down you don't see it it's like cut right when right before it's happening or like it's um oh shit obstructed from your view yeah. in some way mm -hmm. and i was like what a interesting choice for this filmmaker to make showing these situations and just having that conscious decision of like, it's more effective and it, it moves the story along better. If I mm -hmm. don't actually show, it's almost like the uh, antithesis of like, everyone has to see everything. Right. He's like, Nope, you don't. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot of filmmakers that will just show you it because they want you to feel terribly uncomfortable yeah. and experience everything about that, um, which has its place to a degree, but it's also mostly not necessary. And unless the movie is about specifically experiencing <laughs> that thing, right. you can, you can get 90% of the idea across without showing anything. Yeah. So next time you like sit down and watch it, just, Oh, I will every time from now. Watch that detail. And it's so, the editing is so, like, pinpoint. Yeah. I can picture the kick, and I'm pretty sure you're completely right, that it does cut right before he actually kicks her in the stomach. Yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. Uh, but he says a couple of interesting things. He's like, mm -hmm. tell me everything as it happens and all of this stuff. And then you jump to the actual heist. The heist is fun and awesome the to heist see. Heist is cool. I don't know why watching him on the ladder just go across. Yeah. It's just cool. Like that's all he does. Yeah. But you're like, that's a speeding like. Right. All the elements driving, are so dangerous. <laughs> right. They're driving down the highway at normal driving speed while they've crushed these other villains' cars in between their cars, so they're they're locked up and smoking, and it's very energetic and chaotic um but awesome and all very relatively normal yeah. and not too much crazy happens they get the 241 out of there where they get it into the car they start speeding away and then you get different clues like oh the, i don't understand the radio chatter and he's like i thought you spoke estonian and he's like it's not estonian it's backwards and and you're like and then this car then comes car. out of nowhere <laughs> going you think it's driving towards you at first like across traffic or whatever and then you're like no it's driving with traffic just going backwards and this scene we haven't talked much 
about the science sci-fi aspect of this. The rest of the movie is sci-fi aspects, so yes. you're going to get a lot of it. Um, but this highway chase specifically is the piece that hurts my brain the most. <laughs> because I start thinking about how there's they're the hero's car. So let's so we'll follow the... We'll follow the plot of the movie where the heroes are the red team. They are going forward in time. Yes. They're, and they're going forward in time down a highway. The villain is in the blue car and blue team car. He is going forward down the highway, but backwards in time. <laughs> and so what you see are them chasing each other. One going backwards, one going forwards. Yes, they're doing this, the hand signal from the, <laughs> the tenant signal. So one is going backwards, one going forward. But what this means is, I'm going to try to explain this in the way that I think it may make sense to me. What this means is the people that are going backwards in time from their perception are going forwards. Mm -hmm. And so if they are going forwards and chasing the other car they the other car looks like they are going backwards in time because they look like they're driving backwards running away from them when they're being chased forwards you know what i'm saying <laughs> this is making less sense as i try to explain it but it's fun watching your brain be like but what it means to me is that for them to chase them while going backwards in time it means that where they have to be in space is kind of where my brain is stuck in order to be, I need like a diagram. I need like a whiteboard. <laughs> I should have gotten a whiteboard for this, for them to be chasing them in space. They need to be where they were. The bad guys need to be where the good guys were at the right time in order to chase them. And they can do that because they have already gone through it in the future. I don't really know where I'm going with this. The point is that if you think about it too hard, it hurts. It hurts. And it hurts and really, troublesome. really bad. But does that really matter? Potentially not because it's awesome to watch. And what you, the simplest version is that they're going, they're just chasing them. It's a car chase. It's a and car chase that... See, I try not to like overcomplicate that one. I think I've just always <laughs> accepted it for yeah. it looks cool. It's something I haven't seen before. Uh, mm -hmm. I already am not quantum scientifically smart enough <laughs> to understand the physics mm -hmm. of how time inversion works. Mm -hmm. in this movie so i just kind of accept that the blue team who yeah that's actually his hints throughout the movie is red means you're moving forward in time blue means you're mm -hmm. moving backwards um i love that in that scene cat's wearing a red dress and andre's wearing like a blue suit yeah. and she's not inverted but he is and so that helps you kind of keep it straight <laughs> right um yeah there it's to me it's basically kind of a hint to exactly what 
the protagonist is trying to avoid all around of if these two like actually converge eventually mm-hmm. one of them gives you know yeah so these objects yeah. are gonna give so you kind of see to me it's kind of just a really cool intriguing way of showing your audience here's a visual of what uh this mm-hmm. kind of conflict it kind of helps lead to so i i honestly i when the car chase comes up and the cars are going backwards and you see the car flip, but then it unflips and gets in between mm-hmm. and they do the like crazy pass of the, of the football. My brain mm-hmm. immediately is like, don't figure that out. Just <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. And I don't resent my brain for protecting me because at this point in the movie, especially the first, the first couple times watching it, my brain was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of self-preservation on a level where he's like, I just need to turn and, and certain know, pieces off. I'm okay with with that. Like, I'm not a dumb guy, but I'm <laughs> far from like hyper Imagining this movie and writing it down and being a genius filmmaker. Yeah, I'm not at that level. I'm not there. So I just kind of accept it for what it is and go mm-hmm. it's a Enjoy the badass ride. car heist like highway scene which are yeah. always fun to watch in a movie and this yeah. one is just done in a style that will never be replicated again because <laughs> think about it if anyone mm-hmm. if any movie down the line mm-hmm. attempts to do something with like a time traveling car chase fight scene in the middle of the highway yeah it won't look as cool. It won't mm-hmm. be the same effect. And instantly everyone would be like, oh, you're trying to rip off of Tenet. Like you're trying to rip yeah. off of Nolan right now. And you're right. probably not it. pulling it off. It was it great. Off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of cool yeah. knowing like this will be the only movie to have this <laughs> style. Right. And I accept right. that. And try not I love to figure the out the science. It hurts. Okay. It hurts really well, the car chase is very cool. It's so cool you get to see it twice because <laughs> they they at the end of the car chase they end up at the Freeport. Is it twice or the, is it four times? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, at the they get to the Freeport and then realize that there is another turnstile there. The turnstile they've recently learned is a thing that is what they saw in the Oslo airport that is a device. For right. They haven't, they objects. haven't learned about it completely yet. When they see it again, it's when the car mm-hmm. chase goes south. Mm-hmm. Cause you have that crazy, crazy save. It's one of the most intense. I can't believe you tried to gloss over <laughs> this. I'm so sorry. It's fun. It's just the way it's shot is so like, Oh my God. You always have movies where, like, especially car chases, where it's like, give me your hand, hop over, and they jump, they trade cars. It's always cool. It's always fun. This one gets me because both doors are wide open and they're like, one's traveling backwards, one's forward, (laughs) and they do this the whole time with the door. And And they like bump each other. Yeah, it's so daunting watching it because you're like, (laughs) what is this? Yeah. And she's going backwards in a car that is 
nobody is driving. Uh, right. It's, it's just, just like rolling towards an oncoming it's traffic. It's just going. It's a crazy yeah. save that goes sour because then you get like an actual shootout-ish. Mm-hmm. You think like, oh, normal shootout. And then you see people like reverse moving in it and you're like, oh, <laughs> fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they get kidnapped. They get taken to the uh, Freeport mm-hmm. and the protagonist is on one side of the glass. Andre and Kat are on the other side of the glass and he's essentially trying to tell him where he ditched the 241 yeah. and get information out of him. Um, what you don't realize while it's happening, well, you hear the audio is it's like backwards and then repeated through speakers forwards, like normal, which is interesting. And then, uh, and then at the end of it, he shoots cat in the stomach and then uh, walks backwards to the turnstile. And well, the, another satyr comes out of nowhere on the protagonist side grabs him interrogates him as if he didn't know that he just told him where the uh, 241 was and then he's like oh you already told me great walks they both go into the turnstile it goes around and he disappears which is crazy because you've only seen dudes come out of them from yeah, yeah you haven't seen like the actual time travel yet right but now and you so have you start have you though I, I when i first saw it i was like so they can come into it and then come out of it is it like a portal what's happening in there true and then but then you do see that the exact next scene is you see him go into it come out the other side do everything that he just did in reverse where he he shoots cat and then you realize oh you shot cat immediately yeah and then you interrogated me and then you counted back like forwards instead of backwards and all this stuff um and you're like this is so crazy and then he leaves to find the 241 that he just told him about <laughs> and then you see the car chase again in <laughs> reverse well and during the like after Seder leaves again um, mm-hmm. you meet this whole new military crew mm-hmm. that kind of helps you understand like, oh, this is a, this is a huge issue. Like these guys are special op military. Yeah. And this is crazy. It's getting bigger. And they know all about it. And he's like, where did he go? Oh, he went to the past. And you're like, that's kick-ass with a beard. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah when it's uh what's his name aaron taylor johnson yeah. or something uh yeah yeah he's awesome and he has like a cool accent and all this stuff. right and they they give him a quick explanation of like if you get shot with an inverted bullet like the radiation and the way that the bullet has gone through you that's what kills mm-hmm. you within days yeah and he's like determined to save cat because yeah he's a spy he's not He's not the usual like womanizing spy or even really suave. Yeah. But he's so like he cares about people and mm-hmm. he's trying to save her because he knows like she just wants to be with her son. And he's a classic hero. Archetype. He is a classic hero. And he's like, 
I kind of owe it to her because I kind of got her shot. This is my bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's an interesting thing about the radiation is that if they go through the turnstile and invert her, mm-hmm. then the radiation is less effective because it's going at the same. It's it's entropy is at the same uh, direction as right. her is as she is as her is. Um, <laughs> so if she if they're both if the radiation and her are in the same entropy direction, then it she can actually heal as opposed to it killing her. Yeah, it takes like a long time, but it was, it's possible. They said it. it yeah. How long do they say? Like a, they said, like a week. A week or something. It takes her at least a week or something to get through to it, and then like, well, you have to go through this thing. You're going to go back in time for at least a week. How are you ever going to get turned back around? And they're like, well, funny you should ask. <laughs> there is a turnstile in Oslo about a week ago at the airport, <laughs> and uh, so we'll just go back there. Yeah, this is where the movie to me is like, oh yeah, because they've they've been talking about inversion, time inversion, uh, inverting mm-hmm. the entropy of objects around. But now they're flat out going to show you time travel in the mm-hmm. like most dull way, but it's exciting <laughs> at the same time because yeah. you have no and clue I... what the outside world. <laughs> is doing because they're stuck in a container. Right. (laughs) And I love, I love this version of time travel where it's going at the exact same rate as normal time. Yeah. It's not like you're shooting backwards to the past or something like that. Um, It's like, no, we're just going to flip direction. We're going forward. We're going to flip directions and go backwards at the exact same rate, um, which is interesting. I love the way that they, the machine that they use is just the most ordinary dull. We just go around in this machine and somehow magically it changes everything about our reality. Um, Primer does kind of a similar thing as a movie about time travel. That's just like you sit in a box and then something happens and you come out and time has changed. Um, (laughs) It's just awesome. Um, But yeah, it's, it's then now they just need to, after they have gone backwards, and they just need to wait a long time, <laughs> and then they end up in the past. I I do feel bad. We 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 kind of skipped a little bit. The second time you're watching the car chase is from the protagonist who knows he's got to go and find out what he did with the two forty one. Yeah, <laughs> and and they tell you a lot of interesting things because it's his first time being inverted, and so they're like. You need your own air yep. because, which I don't understand any of this, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> Normal oxygen cannot pass through the membranes of your lungs, of inverted lungs. Um, and so you need inverted air in order to actually breathe. Um, if you are walking or running forwards, you can do that, but the wind is at your back. Mm-hmm. Um, the If you catch on fire, then the fire is actually like sucking heat away instead of heating you up. So it actually will freeze everything. Um, There's so many crazy things that I'm like, how did you sit there and think about all of this? (laughs) Well, I love when he's like, can I drive a car? And she's like, well, I can't say much for the handling. And you see him drive a car and the whole time your brain is like, 
I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it looks hard. What's I'll tell you that. Happening? Well, she's like, yeah, friction is reversed and something else. Uh, yeah. And like gravity is the same, but there's some weird thing about it. it. Yeah. It's all, everything is all just, you're like, I get it. It's wonky. <laughs> I will just live in a wonky world. And, and you just you get it when he's walking out into the world for the, the inverted timeline for the first time. And he like steps in the puddle, but mm -hmm. without the splash, because he's already splashed. So his foot like does that weird. Yeah, like splashes step. and then he steps into it. Yeah, <laughs> And then he gets in the car and you see it like, eh, 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 eh. Mm -hmm. and he like pauses. All right, I got it. <laughs> it's like kind of clunky driving. The whole time, yeah. again, my brain was like, don't, don't. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it's hard. He's telling me that <laughs> just, it's hard what he's doing. Just accept. Just, just accept <laughs> it. And you're like, got it. Got it. This is okay. I got it. And then yeah. you get the explosion that is exactly what she said, where it's like, if there's fire, it freezes and it blows up the car. And you mm -hmm. see all the ice form immediately. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And Neil gives him an interesting tidbit that you can't, you shouldn't go out there. You'll cause whatever you're trying to stop and whatever happens happened. Yep. Um, and that's an interesting like thread that may or may not be true. Um, it's up to you really to decide, but he does end up going out there and, giving him the 241 because he had caught it in his car and he was the car in between and uh and then Sater sees it and saw the exchange and that's when he blows it up yeah i think we covered what happened there <laughs> car crash but so they are traveling backwards in time in this container it's got like plastic around it so that keeps all the air in and then they end up back at the airport and well, and, and they... Neil spends that time. I love that scene because I feel like that was also full of moments where Nolan is kind of telling the audience, like, this is the scene where mm -hmm. they, they tell you about paradoxes and yeah, there's no answer to a paradox. So don't, don't stress about it. Like I love, <laughs> it's a paradox. Now get some sleep, like just, just deal with it. <laughs> Yeah. And I love like when he's trying to explain to Cat what's going on. It, it's so quick; you don't even get an explanation. It's just Neil walks over and goes, "Okay, so let's start with the simple things about physics." <laughs> and that's all you hear. All I imagine is at one point Cat would have to look at Neil and be like, "Nope, am I gonna live?" That's all <laughs> right. that I care now. <laughs> Yeah, the priorities. Like, am I going to permanently be stuck in this weird, inverted, but not life? Or am I going to get mm -hmm. to move forward again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so we get uh, to the to the airport again. Yeah. And so they use the exact same airplane crash mm -hmm. as a mechanism to sneak in, uh, even though they are obviously... They're running forwards, but everybody else in the world are running backwards. And so I feel like they should notice these people who are <laughs> running backwards out of the airport. Uh, it's such a weird thing. But so they get to the airport. Uh, 
they go in. Luckily, they have their own gas nest, so they don't need to worry about the gas, oh, yeah, the halide gas. Up. Yeah, and so they they get in there. They get into the center, and uh, and he does. He has to fight his way in, as opposed. To, and you realize that oh shit, you are the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that came out of the turnstile because you have to fight yourself to get into it yeah backwards you have to fight yourself backwards <laughs> to get into it and then once you get into it then you run out and neil chases you <laughs> yeah again and that whole thing i've seen uh, i watched youtube clips where they synchronize the first scene and then the second airport scene and you get to see like from both perspectives who was where at which time right how how both versions of the fight match up perfectly and and uh beautifully it's really really interesting um but just to see that and then just have the audience go oh <laughs> i see what's happening here um and realize that that person is not like some mystic figure, but that's actually the hero. That's right. And it, that's your in protagonist, a different time. folks. <laughs> yeah. It's just bonkers. It, it is bonkers. Well, and they start, they really give you the heavy clue. Like he's the guy from the beginning, that first fight scene, because out of nowhere, he's like, oh, oh. And his like arm has a hole in it all of a sudden, like the inside of his bicep has a hole. And even Neil yeah. looks at him like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love all of those little details where they're getting to the airport and he just starts randomly, his arm starts hurting and then it starts bleeding. <laughs> and then he puts, he puts on the jacket and there's a hole in the jacket and you're like, that can't be good, but we don't have time to think about it right now. <laughs> and then it all connects and you're like, oh, I see. We, when you got to that point and you got stabbed and now we are going backwards in time from when that happened and all that stuff. Yeah. There's the same scene in the, uh, the, the highway heist where you, you don't pay attention to it, but when he's in the car, in the BMW the originally mirror. with Neil, he like leans forward and you see like the mirror is broken and you don't really notice it until the car gets hit and then me the mirror gets fixed. <laughs> yep. And you're like, how long has that been broken for? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice. <laughs> and that's where you, I think you start to realize the entropy being reversed thing of like that they, I don't know. Well, I don't it, understand entropy, but that thing is now fixed. Right, because at that point they're they're moving, you know, normal. <clears throat> so to me, it, it's another like it's showing how the more objects, who which the entropy has been inverted, mm -hmm. if they like contact each other, the effect that it can have and that drastic kind of change. This one was it fixed the mirror, but who's to say, you know? the negative side of that or the reverse yeah. of that would be the more these objects are colliding into each other, the more damage it causes, you know, if an inverted object is flying in, they talk about like mm -hmm. with humans, if you get shot with an inverted bullet, you know, it's radiation. It's another example of just like, here's how quickly and how bad this could actually mount up right now. It's something small, mm -hmm. but they got to stop Seder because he's, 
Right. He's a bad guy. Yeah. But yeah, the, the whole second airport scene always is just like <laughs> he gets out of the turnstile and runs from Neil and your brain has to act exactly like the turnstile where it's like we're back to normal time now. We're moving forward again. Mm-hmm. Like catch up, but don't try to figure out why suddenly there's multiple of these guys in the same yeah. timeline. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. And the main thing that you learn is not only as the audience, you realize that was the protagonist the whole time, but you realize that Neil learned that that was the protagonist yeah. because he was able to unmask him and then hasn't told him up this whole time so since the airport he's known that it's him yeah at least since the airport he's known potentially the entire time um and i also love when they get out of the airport and they leave um well first of all the protagonist gets out tells him it's safe to go in but he's telling him in reverse he's like oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> instead of go go um it's amazing but then once they both get out and they get in the ambulance and they drive away you see them running in like backwards out as well like when they originally ran in they are now moving in reverse out they're both in the same place going in different yeah, times like... Like... and that's this this thing the part where they go they meet in the middle and then go out is the thing that my brain wraps around the most i think because that's the whole turnstile thing where the the protagonist is in the turnstile and then came out both ends yeah. at the same time. Um, and then when Seder goes in at the same time and then disappears, uh, that is so fascinating to me because it's like, so he's traveling forwards in time and backwards in time. Um, and then he meets at the turnstile and he's gone because his timeline is linear. Yeah. So he meets in there and that's, that point in time because in other points in time he's all the way out here and so same that's how he can that's how the protagonist can appear in the turnstile is because he is both traveling out and in at the same time right uh that makes sense (laughs) but that's kind of the structure of the whole movie as well where all the way up to the highway heist is relatively normal movie they get to the Freeport at the dock turnstile, the protagonist and Neil and Kat and everybody's turning around to go backwards. That's basically the middle of the movie. It's like an hour and 25 in, um, and there's like an hour left. And so then they go back all the way to the beginning of the movie uh, from there. So that's like just like a loop that they do. But we're not done going farther back in the story. <laughs> right. <laughs> So they got to the airport, they flip back around, start going forwards. Cat's okay. Uh, she just has this nasty scar. And then, uh, and then now that they're in the past again, he connects with the protagonist connects with Priya and he's like, what the fuck? You told me that I was chasing <laughs> plutonium, but I was not chasing plutonium. Uh, you wanted me to, you wanted me to stop, uh, Seder from getting it, but I, you, basically also secretly wanted me to give him to give it to him. And he's like, you need to not do that. Um, she does a really interesting thing where she references Oppenheimer, yep. which is Christopher Nolan's next movie. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
But the point of that is that Oppenheimer believed that by set, by creating the atomic bomb, he would start a chain reaction and destroy the universe. Um, and that is setting up the real threat of Tenet, which I did not understand until like the fifth or fourth time I've watched it, which is that not only are they inverting individual objects and sending them backwards in time, reversing their entropy so that they go backwards in time. The risk is that we all, the world, are going forwards in time and we all perceive that we're all going forwards in time. Mm -hmm. And we see over the course of the movie that when you reverse one or two or three things or one or two or three people, there's a conflict there where mm -hmm. those things are now going in opposite directions. And so that creates conflict. If you reverse enough things so that most things are going backwards in time, then that becomes the new flow. Right. And everybody is now going backwards in time. Well, most pe like most people are, and that is the new status quo. That's mm -hmm. the new standards. Every most things are going backwards in time, and so those previously normal people are now in conflict with you. Um, and so the point of the movie, I think, is that Sador is being recruited by the future to help do this because they want they want that to happen and that's the grandfather paradox that yeah, they talk yeah. about on the boat is that they want that the people in the future their rivers have dried up their air is polluted like everything in the future is terrible so they want to turn around and go back to healthier cleaner life and times even if it means destroying everything and everything in the universe and all that stuff, right. um, which they don't know if that will happen or not, but they want to try but and they don't care if it's a risk. It. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's massive. <laughs> that's a crazy, there's kind of a potentially good angle. It's kind of like a Thanos level <laughs> threat where it's like, yes, you might kill everybody on the planet, but you also might save everybody on the planet. So maybe you're not that bad. Uh, it's an interesting <laughs> question to ask. But then they're they're doing it from because they they mention it very quickly at one point in the movie where it's like the danger is if you reverse the entropy of all these objects, exactly everything you just said, right? Create the conflict. Mm -hmm. But then it would add up to you reverse the entropy of like all the nuclear warheads. Yeah. And that is what would actually kind of decimate and annihilate all life on earth, essentially. Um, so you're yeah, because you see that bullets themselves are more devastating when they're inverted because they have some inverted radiation. Yeah. If you add that to other weapons, it could be even worse. It could be on a whole new scale that, you know, you wouldn't even be able to actually measure. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's crazy. Like the, the consequences and, and I'm with you, like you get it to a point where you're like, they're trying to like essentially reset, but alongside the protagonist timeline, you're kind of understanding or realizing like if they do follow through with this or if this plan works, 
it's mm-hmm. it's not a reset. It's just complete annihilation and destruction. Yeah. It would just be a slower process. Well, Neil tells them it's instant. My brain kind of takes it as it would be like that whole process of the two things when you see it. So one mm-hmm. time would move a little bit different for the red team than it would for yeah. the blue team. And when they mm-hmm. do meld or like actually meet and have that conflict, it would be like the offset, like, mm-hmm. and that's where it would all blank out essentially. So I, uh, I can kind of see the idea, but again, it's like, you're very misguided. <laughs> like the <Yeah>. future is, <laughs> it was kind of like a funny way of Nolan being like the future's fucked guys. Fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so they, after that conversation with Priya, they decide to go all they go back even further. They go back to the 14th when the opera siege happens. And because they learned that during that time, Kat was with Seder on the yacht in Vietnam mm-hmm. that she said was a wonderful time in his life. Um, they, they learned that he has a dead man switch that will transmit the algorithm which is a thing that we haven't talked about at all to the point well, because this point. they don't they don't talk about the algorithm up until about this point <laughs> yeah very recently <laughs> so you learn that the plutonium is not plutonium the plutonium the MacGuffin, the thing that they're chasing is an algorithm or several pieces of an algorithm are out there uh Seder has collected almost all of them already except for one, which is the one at the opera siege and the one on the truck that they gave to him Mm -hmm. on accident. So now he has all of them. So they're going to go back in time to the opera siege when uh, it's supposed to be there. He has all of the pieces. He is also going back in time to that date because he wants to, one, bury the algorithm so that... um, he knows where it is and he can transmit a signal out to somebody, everybody potentially um, because he's wearing a switch that will basically send an email burst to all these people that, Hey, there's this super secret scientific algorithm that you can dig up whenever you want. It's at this location um, and nobody will touch it for hundreds of thousands of years or Mm -hmm. whatever, because it's all radiated and stuff. So you can go there whenever, dig it up and the world feel free. Um, And so he intends to end his life because he has inoperable pancreatic cancer. He, uh, so he is also traveling back in time to plant that there at that date and also go back to Vietnam where he was, had a happy moment with Kat. She made him feel loved. Yeah. Cause that's, and with his son, that's what he wants to have as his final moment. Um, Right. And so, He's able to do that because they say he left the red team version of him that was going forward, left the yacht on the 14th and went to the opera siege where the 241 was. He is go the blue version of him is going to go back to that moment and get on the yacht because he won't be there. Mm-hmm. He, he, he will miss himself because he won't be there. And then he'll experience that moment with past cat, uh, red team cat, like, because she won't know that 
he's a piece of shit who tried to kill her. <laughs> uh, he thinks that he did kill her. And so they are going to intercept this plan as the spies that they are <laughs> and send Blue Team Cat back to meet Blue Team Seder on the yacht and then also do a temporal pincer move in this giant battle <laughs> to steal the algorithm. Well, yeah, because before it gets then it wheeled. comes back to the conversation that the protagonist had with Sir Michael, where Sir Michael was telling him, like, we picked up this crazy explosion out here mm -hmm. where. Uh, in Stalsk 12, Stalsk the city 12, where this guy yeah. lived in. And he, like, the conversation, he just kind of brushes over it, like, eh, whatever. And now you're yeah. like, oh, shit, that explosion was like the whole <laughs> actual beginning of this craziness that we've been on the ride. Yeah. And yeah, you get like the whole breakdown, the meeting of here's our plan. We have a red mm -hmm. team going forward and the blue team already received this briefing. They're like, the blue but... team has already gone forward. <laughs> yeah. They know how the battle goes. <laughs> they, they briefed us in the future and now they are going to go backwards. And right. As we are showing up, it should be a like kind of uh, <laughs> very smooth, like operation. Yeah. Don't, don't interact yeah. with blue team. You just <laughs> do your thing. Yeah, so one is going backwards and one's going forwards on the same battlefield. The enemy, the Russians, are kind of doing the same thing. Some are going forward, some are going backwards. Some have inverted munitions, some have normal munitions. I like that he tells them, like, they got it all. And the U.S. audience <laughs> is like, oh my god, am I going to see some more crazy shit? It just looks cool, you but will. you don't really see anything like... <laughs> too new <laughs> or maybe at that yeah. point you're desensitized to it and you're like if i saw it cool and then you see the buildings <laughs> blow up and you're like oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah there's i love the backgrounds in the inverted scenes because there's so many little details of things that are of explosions that are being sucked yeah. back into being unexploded yet or um or birds flying backwards there are all these different things dust every, every detail is is the correct direction which is so interesting yeah. and it it sucks you and it sells you on the premise of the movie which is i believe they're there and it's also the practical effects and not being green screen i think that they the actors give much better performances and they themselves would say i prefer not acting on green screen oh, yeah. because I can I can feel it I can live it and I can give a better performance because I'm actually in the moment. Yeah, I think you you hear that a lot from actors where they're like it's cool in front of the green screen, but they always make fun of it of like mm -hmm. you just kind of act to this green ball or they put it. It feels silly. It, yeah, it's you're silly. Yeah, yeah. And then you see like you hear actors show, like this one uh, that making of they talk to I think it's a stunt coordinator where he's talking mm. about when they were trying to like plan and plot the whole <laughs> final battle scene. And they're like this, how are we going to pull this off? This is crazy. And I think it was a stunt coordinator. He says like, as we're trying to figure out, like, are we really about to do this? Like, is this really a thing we're about to try and do? He's like, mm. all of a sudden you hear the, the helicopters kick on and go flying, carrying these, 
containers and he's like oh shit we're like <laughs> we're doing it here we go <laughs> yeah yeah so i it's so incredible to see this scene where this one team is flying into a battlefield they land and see the other team leaving the battlefield yep. because they essentially just went through it but they're also going backwards and so they're both kind of going into the battle one's going backwards one going forwards and and you don't know yet what they're going to experience or why all all those guys are beat up they're limping that doesn't look like it went well <laughs> you're a little concerned uh, but the the mines like blow up and some like suck back in because they were inverted mines and there's just so much happening all at once that it's like the that's most... like driving away but driving towards them they're all shooting at it mm -hmm. and you're like jesus christ there's explosions going on everywhere you got protagonists on the red team oh we skipped that little detail the splinter yeah unit. so during the debriefing <laughs> i mean it's kind of an important moment yeah uh the protagonist approaches the, the captain, kick ass. Mm. Um, <laughs> captain kick ass. Captain kick ass. His, I'm sorry. His I'm, name is I'm Ives. a fan of that guy. I just, yeah, Ives. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, he approaches him and he's like, I wanted to be on the first wave. And he's like, dude, there's no such thing as a first wave in this kind of yeah. battle. Like, he's telling him, like, uh oh. Stop thinking of linear time. <laughs> it's all at once. <laughs> right. And he's like, we're Splinter Cell because I figure we can manage ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember when we saw it in the theater, at first I was like, is that the, like, is this a suicide mission then? And they kind of confirm, like, mm -hmm. anyone that sees the algorithm, you're, you mm -hmm. cannot leave the battlefield because you can't, right. you can't risk it. Uh, yeah, that information will then go into another time, and it's just going to cause gonna, the same situation. Right, you're just going to be on that re or that cycle all over again. Yeah, and so they like it's crazy. Their whole just the journey trying to get to that that mine, that entrance. Yeah. it's bonk. Uh, my favorite. <laughs> stunt i guess it's a stunt basically is when the protagonist is running he steps on the rubble oh and it the like rubble, him up. yeah the rubble it was blown up by blue team or some inverted guy and so it goes back to being whole again and it like throws him up into the air because it like he stepped on it and it like yeah. goes back up into the sky i'm like it just puts you in like you need to think of the battlefield in a completely different way and 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 like when the the they see all of the debris flying towards them and they're like take cover and then the the explosion happens after and then uh, and then there's a guy there and then somebody else blows him up from the other direction you're like that guy wasn't there before <laughs> because somebody else had taken care of him but now time has brought him back, back. and so, so they there. need to take care of him. yeah you just the battlefield and combat is just so different and it's so weird it's all it's always been three-dimensional but now it's like six <laughs> right it's you're like it's a kind of dimension we're not going to try to figure out it's yeah <laughs> it's like a, a a hall of mirrors but there's bullets <laughs> and explosions uh <laughs> yeah and so but yeah they do run down the mine and they trigger a 
mine. Uh, they run down the hallway and trailer of mine and it collapses it. So they're kind of stuck in yeah. there now, but they still continue their mission. You hear a bunch of honking and you're like, maybe that's important. And then, so they keep going. You're also at the same time following Neil, who's on the blue team. Mm -hmm. He's going backwards. Um, and you learn, he has such an interesting arc where he kind of, he gets into the battlefield, sees some shit going on, sees that the bad guy plant the mines at the, at the entrance to the cave, um, decides that, and decides that that is going to be a problem. And he's right. <laughs> Keep the, he goes back to the beginning to try to stop the red team so that they know about it. Doesn't isn't able to. Finds a turnstile in the middle of the battlefield, in the middle of Stoss Twelve, um, which makes sense. It's like Sater's home base, uh, and then flips directions, changes gears halfway through, like he says, and then starts going forward in time. Gets into the car, honks at them to stop them. They don't hear it, um, and so he needs to figure out a way to help them get out of there because now they're stuck. Right. Well, yeah, because he's like he doesn't quite understand that they were going into the mine like that was it for him. But he also mm -hmm. can't afford to let them say, "Well, that's it for them." Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that it for them, but they still need to get the algorithm. But they got to get out. the algorithm the, out of there. Yeah. The whole point of the mission is that it doesn't stay collapsed, and so when Seder dies and transmit the location, it's not there. Yeah. That's the like the goal. Um, <laughs> and so as all this is happening, Cat <laughs> is on the boat with Andre Seder, and. And so he thinks that she is past cat. He wants to have a sweet moment with her. She does a great acting job of pretending that she is pretending that she loves him. Can we just pause? So we've already been uncomfortable with Seder, but he does, yeah. a, he does something during the scene where she's like trying to be past cat and kind of be like seductive. Like I want to be loving to you. Yeah. The way he like grips the back of yes. her head. She's having like a sweet moment being nice to him. And he like is, you think he's like going to gently caress her face and be nice, but he like, yeah, fully grabs the back of her head, like, like further than normal. And he doesn't do like the scene doesn't do anything past that, but just mm -hmm. that action, the way he holds the back of her head is so yeah. like, you it's just a reminder of he is not being sweet <laughs> yeah he's not like, a sweet man he's a bad guy. he's he's a very evil 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 human being this is not good yeah. not good and i remember sitting <laughs> and hearing chrissy or no chrissy was right next to me when the three of us saw and i yeah. remember her and i were both like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's so subtle but very gross and effective <laughs> Um, and same with like when he takes the call or makes the call to have his son Max brought back to the boat. She said that the nanny was with him and he's like, can you bring my son back? And then he just like makes a look like they told him some information and you're like, uh, what, what, yeah. what do they tell her? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then he brings it up to her. He's like, they said that they thought you were on shore with them. And she kind of plays it off in a, in a fun way that I guess he buys. Um, but yeah, their whole interaction is 
so interesting because she's trying to buy time so that they can get uh, get the algorithm out and he's planning to end his life. My theory, he shows the cyanide capsule yeah. and he's like, I got this from the CIA. This is like how I'm going to end it all. And she's like, well, don't do it yet. We have like the sunset stuff. Um, but we know as the audience that the at least the the CIA capsules that the protagonist got were fake because he took one. And then when he got picked up, he's like, the cyanide capsules are fake. And he's like, well, yeah, uh, the CIA guy says, yeah. And so my thought is potentially it wouldn't have actually killed him. And I'm, maybe I'm not saying all of them are fake, but that one is very specifically well, it looks the like exact same. to the one that, that the protagonist yeah. takes. Um, I was thinking about that too. Cause I was like, well, would it, does it just induce the coma? And maybe that's like another way that Seder is planning on like time traveling. Cause he can just go in the coma <laughs> or whatnot because I've never considered this. He's been like monitoring his heart rate. Right. So yeah. if the heart rate drops low enough, which the body, I guess, might assume it's like dying or whatnot, being put mm -hmm. into that kind of coma to whatever. I actually think his dead man trigger doesn't rely on just like actual flatline. I think mm -hmm. it might just rely on like the sudden drop yeah. in the heart rate. Um, That's possible. But I've thought about it that too, especially this last week, because he holds it up and he's looking at it and I was like, it's fake. It's fake. It's fake. Yeah. So it's so exactly the same and not like any other capsule you've ever seen. But and so I, that's why it like made me think of I that. also wonder if it was also put in to be another paradox or another uh one of Nolan's little um kind of winks at the audience to make mm -hmm. you or us like we are now debate. Mm -hmm what if he had just taken it? We know it's fake. Yeah. Would, would, <laughs> would anything have, have happened? Would, yeah. would he die? Would he just be in the coma where like this agency mm -hmm. could take him and do whatever they want? If that happened, would it be the agency's fault for turning <laughs> Seder into who he would turn into Become. in the future or? Yeah. I, yeah, that's an interesting element as well, which I never considered. But he's not the most selfish villain. If I was him and I had inoperable pancreatic cancer, I would just go back into the past and live all over again. <laughs> like you're, you're. I guess maybe it doesn't work like that because you're the same age. You're just, and but but your entropy is reversed, so you would be not decaying you would not be aging you would be de-aging right you'd be they've benjamin button like, yeah they've only gone back a couple of weeks what if benjamin button is actually like inverted prequel of this oh. yeah he is the first test subject of inversion we that really possible. went off the rails here <laughs> <laughs> um so they're just buying time on the yacht she's buying time on the yeah. yacht he's trying to kill himself and that's the whole tension there while they're doing that the whole battle is happening 
the protagonist and uh, Ives have gotten down to the bottom and there's a locked gate there and they can't get through. There's a dead dude on the ground. They're trying to look for grenades. They find a red thread uh, lanyard thing pop out of his backpack and you're like, oh, that's the guy from the beginning. Uh, right, you're like, his life. came back. This dude's back. But like, <laughs> yeah, like tough break. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. He's dead on the ground. That sucks. Um, and then Seder has this huge monologue where he calls them. He knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. He knows that he's trying to uh, have his Bond villain moment of a you'll never succeed um, and you'll never get this kind of a thing. And uh, and there's a lot of interesting things there where, like I mentioned, he says to the protagonist that you are a fanatic. You yeah. don't have any any information other than your belief of what they've told you is true. It may not be true. Um, and then the protagonist says, you're a fanatic. You're trying to end the world <laughs> yeah, right, like, <laughs> right back at yeah. you, bud. Um, but they, they seem like there's no way for them to get in. And then as time starts counting down, the uh, he tells him to shoot the protagonist. He shows the hunt henchman dude to shoot the protagonist. And so he does. And then you see the dude on the floor stand up. The bullet passes through him so that he becomes alive again. Right. Meaning that he had taken the bullet going into the past. He's inverted. Um, so he comes back to life, unlocks the door, and then lets them in and they have a whole scuffle over that uh, thing, which is crazy. Um, the, the, they do end up pulling it out. Uh, Neil throws down a rope and pulls him out at the last second. It's so exciting. It's, I love every second awesome. of it. They even get caught in like, as the ground drops for that second, like shock wave and he's watching yeah. it like, Oh shit. Oh shit. And then he sees him come up and he's like, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't drive yeah, very it, far away, which I've always been like, just keep going, man. Yeah, you don't really know how reliable these caves are. <laughs> yeah, it's so like tense how close to the end he waits. He waits till like three seconds because there's no way for them to tell him, yeah, That's we got right. it hooked up, take off. Uh, he just waits until there's like three seconds left. He's like, fuck it, and just like goes and uh, and pulls him up. They're all happy. They succeeded. It's great. Um, and then Ives kind of turns on him for a second. Well, yeah. And this whole time, when do they cut back to the yacht, though? They cut back to the yacht before that because she can't keep she up can't the keep ruse up the, any longer. Yeah, she's done with this shit yeah and she can't let him think that uh he's won she has to let them know that they've won yeah and he'd break the hold he has over her basically which is very cathartic and enjoyable to oh. see when she shoots him in the chest you're like oh shit you can't kill him yet because you're like yeah don't let him die don't let him die mm-hmm because she doesn't know if they've gotten the algorithm up. The, the editing on this is like so intense because as yeah. they're you know, having the, the fight in the mine mm -hmm. and trying to get, you know, the, the algorithm out of there, 
is when she starts like she points the gun at Sater. You're like, yeah, fucking goddamn it. <laughs> yeah, and you keep like she keeps looking at the boat with the guy with the signal. <laughs> well, she's flare waiting for the signal, and it's just not coming. He's on the radio. He's, they're getting a call, and he's like, "Oh, this is it. They're gonna say that they got it." And they're like, "Just hang on, hold on, hold. <laughs> we definitely don't have it yet." And he's like, "Well, goddamn it, stop calling me." So she shoots Sater, and then like shoves him off of the boat. And this is the only scene of actual extreme violence that we get in this whole movie, and it is a good one. Satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, fuck that guy. The, the sound of the. I don't even know the doink or whatever the sound it makes when he hits the rail is like gross, but yeah. happy at the same time. Yeah. yeah, it's what you want. And yeah, everyone's like, she went early, she went early. And that's when like the bomb goes off and he's like, fuck it. And he guns it and you see him get pulled yeah. up and you're, oh. <laughs> and then Ives turns on him. Yeah, he grabs it and pulls out his gun and you're like, oh no, it's not over the <laughs> conflict or whatever and then but he ends up being super cool he's like okay guys you know what let's just take it all apart we'll each take it to rehide it yeah we'll hide it again try harder i guess to hide it in different places in different times um and that's <laughs> that's the point of the mission or potentially what got them here right well he tells them like when you hide it like hide it well but then you have to kill yourself after you hide it so yeah that there's no history behind it and he tells them like if i see you guys at any point like i'm just going to kill you and i, yeah. I love the line where neil laughs and he's like but you're not going to try and look very hard for us and he says no i will i like yeah. that line because it, it's like ensuring, and I believe Ives would be the guy to yeah. pull the trigger. Definitely. Um, which is also a flaw in Ives' plan, because that means he cannot follow through with killing himself after he hides his pieces. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But he probably is more confident in himself that if he got caught that he would not be interrogated and break or whatever right he would i because he's he strikes you as the kind of character that would yeah he's he'll pull the trigger it's just gonna he's be done that this. quick yeah um, but yeah so ives is walking away like all right mm -hmm. we this is our plan and protagonist <laughs> and neil are, are left together and, and neil oh god neil is like he's the best character <laughs> <laughs> he is much. neil is the hero of the story so even awesome. though the protagonist is the protagonist uh, neil is truly the hero because he he like keeps dropping hints he's like hey ives do you know anybody who could have gotten that door open any faster yeah, yeah. and you're like but you weren't there <laughs> so i guess that guy got it open faster and then but you learn that that guy was Neil because Neil walks away. He has well, he throws the backpack on and you see the little red lanyard tassel mm -hmm. thing. And the protagonist is trying to warn him, which is a common thing in like a time travel story where someone learns like, oh, your fate is not like yeah. good. 
And they're like, well, Neil jumps it up to like, hey, man, what's happened happened. Like, mm-hmm. we're meeting. How does he put it? We're, you met me at the end of my journey with you, but at the start of your journey with me. And he's yeah. like, we get into some fun. You're going to love it. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, because he never told, uh, Neil never told the protagonist who recruited him. And so he tells him, you recruited me <laughs> in the future. And then you basically sent me back to help you in the past. Yeah. Neil himself is doing a temporal pincer the entire movie to the beginning where he saves him at the opera house. He meets him at the, in Mumbai, he helps him through the whole thing, but he has known him for years. For years yeah. And not let him know that. And so they have a long friendship that Neil has experienced, but the protagonist has not. Neil is at the end of his journey because he has to now, he, he has been, he switched streams. He is now in the future as red team. He needs to go back as blue team again, go back into the mine in, into the cave, uh, unlock the door and then get shot. Yeah. So that when red team protagonist comes through, he will get shot and then open the door and save the world. <laughs> right. And so the thing that this movie doesn't do which is slightly annoying and slightly probably hugely smart <laughs> is that it doesn't dwell on parallel universes yep. where if you do something in one universe, it creates a separate branch time stream um, where, because they talk about, Oh, you can go forward as the, like the blue team, for example, in the battle at the end, they go forward, they experience the battle. They know everything that happens. They tell red team what happened. Red team, uh, red team then goes forward while blue team's coming backwards. That whole thing where they've already gone forward. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody has to like, somebody has to be there and know that and get that information and bring it back. Like, you if you go forward once and then come back you're telling the people at the beginning but then you have to go do it again it's like this whole circular thing where you have to have done it you have to have done it once and they don't really dwell on who did that how did that go how did you know how it went um and does telling us how it went change anything and does that create a separate thing where it doesn't go that way? I, I think so Nolan probably purposely avoided doing that, probably for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't want to follow the exact formula that we were all given by Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think he was also just trying to concentrate on, like, kind of reminding people it's supposed to just at its heart be an exciting action spy thriller um Mm -hmm. and and it's a paradox and it's a paradox he's you know it's a chicken and egg problem you just let it lie and we're not going to worry about it plus can you imagine the pacing it probably would have fucked the whole (laughs) thing up if like right when you're getting into the exciting final battle they're like pause so (laughs) when we went in this happened and then this happened 
watch out mm -hmm. for this moment right here. <laughs> yeah. I think it I think Nolan probably was just like my time travel doesn't need parallel universes and extra branches like Back to the Future and uh Adventures mm -hmm. Endgame. Like we'll just have timelines that are going like this constantly. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it makes for a more complete story yeah. where it's kind of encapsulated and you're able to follow these people as they go forward right. and backward and, and experience what they experience there. If you start thinking too much about all of the other outside stuff. Yeah. It gets super messy. I, yeah, it gets fast. super messy. And I think it detracts from what he's trying to get across and, and the fun mm -hmm. of the story. Um, it, it's such a bummer to me. I'm, I've been bummed every time I finish Tenet this week, <laughs> watching Neil telling him goodbye. And then I love the nod to, to Casablanca. You know, mm -hmm. it's the start of a beautiful friendship. Well, it's the end of mine, but... <laughs> mm -hmm. I do too. Um, but I, I love how he wraps up the protagonist story, or the movie itself, really, because then... We forgot to mention right before the protagonist like actually goes back, he hands Cat mm -hmm. a phone and he tells her at any given moment you feel threatened or uncomfortable. Yeah. Use this phone, call this number. All you have to say is date, time, and place. Mm-hmm. If she's like, Yeah, I was think I was thinking about that because she just says where she is and three o'clock. And I was like, I, that's not really helpful. But then I was like, well, if she's leaving a voicemail, it'll say the date. And the yeah, time there, that there's she info it. there. And it's uh, really just like where you are at that moment that you that he needs, to, and then he already has the what the moment is information. <laughs> and, and I love how she sees the car and is instantly like, you see her starting to pull the phone out, and then you cut to Priya in the car. And to me, I'm like, oh yeah, this bitch. <laughs> yeah, I hope she gets hurt. Yeah, right. But it's so short lived. And Nolan does this a lot throughout the movie Tenet, where like there is something so quick in the back that you don't notice, but it's on camera. They do it yeah. uh, when they first meet Priya, when they bungee jump into the building or when they're leaving it, you see Neil like come over with the rope Fly. and he like jumps yeah. down and then dives. Mm -hmm. But they don't point it out, which I love. And in this yeah. one... It's just like a hint of what's coming. Yeah, and in this one, you see... It's a close-up of Priya. You see the protagonist hop in the back and immediately just pull the trigger and kill her driver. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, that you know exactly what happened, but you don't really see him shoot the driver. Yeah. You don't see him shoot her. You just see close up on him and uh yeah you're absolutely right it's the most clean violence wise movie it, it's crazy how he does it and and i love that the protagonist tells her like we've all been working for me like even yeah. i have been like this has been my whole thing well, she tries to lie to him she's like you're a protagonist not the protagonist <laughs> he's like the fuck i'm not like and then bitch. yeah he's like i am the protagonist and yeah, I recruited me from the future to save the world, and I did. And now I'm just traveling through time, saving this one chick 
I can only imagine when Nolan was finishing up his script. I, first off, I love the the voiceover from Neil just talking about mm-hmm. like the most dangerous bomb and what could have been. We're just here to save the world from what might happen. Uh, yeah. But, and then nobody appreciates all of those it, yeah, things. Like, that they no one knows about the bomb that didn't go off. Yeah. Um, but I love love the protagonist line of the mission accomplished because I can only imagine Christopher Nolan after writing this giant <laughs> fucking crazy script that is typing mission, mission accomplished. accomplished and knowing and that like, he's such a huge spy genre fan and just like yeah. action movie fan in general. I can mm. only imagine the giant fucking grin on his <laughs> face as he typed that. Imagine he sits back in his, he's got like a Winston Churchill British <laughs> chair and he's just like, damn, I'm good. <laughs> damn, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and I, you can only imagine like the producers at Warner Brothers or, you know, script supervisors or whatever were probably like, no, oh, Chris, any way we can rewrite Mission Accomplished because it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> nope (laughs) that is my favorite part of the movie you're not taking it away I bet it is his favorite line in the whole movie I would bet money on that (laughs) well you can't have a good Bond movie without a little cheese you have to have some cheese and the movie is not cheesy until that moment but it works because it's so much fun because it really reminds you all over again Mm -hmm. it was a spy thriller it's a right. spy movie. Just mm. have fun with it. You had an eccentric villain who met a pretty brutal demise. You've got the mm. good guy who's just trying to save the world because every spy thriller is about saving the entire world. <laughs> it's always a right. global thing, which is yeah. awesome and hilarious <laughs> at the same time. I love mm-hmm. Tenet, dude. I love fucking love this movie i love it and i love it more and more as i understand all of the little details and the the hints and things and the pieces that i missed that set it up i'm like oh that makes actually a lot more yeah. sense now and the attention to so detail good. to it is incredible just the i i find the story fun and engaging mm-hmm. and captivating and i genuinely don't understand it when people have told me like they don't get it did you watch it on mute and with your eyes closed (laughs) i just don't understand yeah Yeah, i think you don't have to understand all of it and i certainly don't understand all of it but i think what you feel is all that really matters and so he shows you enough that you you everything he tells you feels true and feels uh feels interesting that you you understand where it's where it's trying to take you. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to just go along for the ride, it's a very enjoyable it's ride. A very enjoyable ride. And I said it at the beginning, I think I'm always going to preach this about this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. I think this movie deserves so much respect because just the, the approach and execution that Nolan and the entire team went after in making the movie just on the filmmaking standpoint alone, I think this might be the greatest film 
just on that <laughs> aspect alone. Like you said at the yeah. beginning, is it the perfect movie? No, but I don't think it ever tries to be a perfect movie. And right. that's kind of something I really respect about Nolan. And it's ironic because being such a fan of his and, and what he's known for, for putting on the screen, you know, he's called a genius. I call him a genius. Fans like us call most of his movies like this is pretty much the perfect mill. I mean, The Dark Knight is considered like as close yeah. to perfection as you get when it comes to making a movie. But his movies are like, they're just, they're so engaging and they're so fun, mm -hmm. but they're not, he doesn't aim ever to make the perfect movie. He literally just picks a subject and he goes, that might be cool. And he mm -hmm. does it. <laughs> right. And it's, I love his, his passion for film and it's from a purely audience appreciation and yeah. entertainment standpoint. It's like, I just want to make movies that people enjoy watching that are fun, that are interesting and that blow some minds along right. the way. He's like, I just want to, it's like, he's trying to remind modern audiences what filmmaking and like the magic of movies actually looks like and yeah. actually feels like that you don't yeah. have to and rely so, on a fancy digital gimmick, but you can actually do the mm -hmm. way they used like old, old school film tricks on tenant, like yeah. just the editing styles of miniatures. They even did the fucking, uh, wraparound film with a car where yeah. the background is on that reel. Oh, nice. Yeah, like he went old school tricks, and that was cool watching and listening to like the production teams and the the mm -hmm. set designers talking about. We made all of it. This isn't. We we mm -hmm. actually went to these locations. We actually put the actors in these positions, and mm -hmm. none of this was fake. Yeah, that's and just see their excitement about that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. cool. It is that's cool. cool, and it's it's creates timeless movies at the same time. It really time does. That you'll be able to watch these a hundred years from now and they won't look worse. They will look just as good. Right. And I think the quality of them is what is really going to have that longevity because, you know, the flashy glitzy films, I think a lot of people have already kind of started already burning out on them or forgetting about them entirely. But yeah. you mentioned, you know, Memento. Or and people are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. God damn, I fucking love Tenet. I love Chris Nolan. I just, it's <laughs> unreal what this guy accomplishes, and Tenet is just <sighs> to me, it's Next a masterclass. I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. So I hope. That helped explain anything, something. I'm still trying to figure out how to describe how the two cars are going. I, I know you are. I know you are. This one was here, and then this one was here, and it had to be you know, whatever. They're going this well, way, it. but then, you know, it's like. You get it. It's twitchy. It like does this maneuver. <laughs> so if you don't understand, reach out on Instagram. We're happy to discuss it. Or if you have theories. I know we've raised a couple here. If there's anything that you're like, 
I thought about it and what happens if this happened or anything like that, I want to hear all about that stuff. So reach out on Instagram or uh, whatever. And yeah, I think that's it. What are we doing next time, Dustin? I don't know, Jake, because the last time I had it in my calendar, <laughs> we were all sorts of mixed up. Um, yeah, I know. Are we I... doing crushes? I think we're doing crushes. Are we? Are we doing That's crushes? What I have as well. We're doing okay. top ten movie crushes. I have it as movie crushes. You could put in some TV crushes if you want. I. But I personally, I thought I was doing movie crushes. I thought we were doing movie crushes too. Cool. I'm just throwing it out there. If you have any, I mean, TV crushes from back in the day or current. Now I'm fine with that. Now I guess <laughs> this could all be off air, but off air we're not radio oh my god it's um, live we're it's, doing live we're doing it live uh are we doing characters or like actresses? characters characters no okay. characters although the actress obviously plays a part a part a part, <laughs> a part. obviously plays a part in it it's late um, folks don't blame us a bit probably a big part in it yeah probably, uh, never mind <laughs> i was gonna say a couple big parts in it um but in all wholesomeness, we were going to do the top 10 movie crushes uh, that we have had probably since childhood. Yeah. Should be fun. It'll and be a I, silly uh, adolescent style episode of TV. At least one of mine is an anthropomorphic animal. So take that for what it is. I'm not a furry. Don't worry. That rhymed. That's fun. I'm a little worried. <laughs> a little worried. Uh, we got some new merch showing up, is. so check that shit out soon. Yes, and... a couple of people have asked about hats, and we realized we didn't have hats, uh, so now we do. Yeah, so watch for those, and we will see you guys next time. All right, thanks everybody for sticking. Bye with everyone. Us. Go watch Tenet; it's awesome.